0: Once told me the grass
1: is much greener. I still need to watch all of this show in order. There is
0: a mixture of sadness, but at the same time there's a mixture of a little bit of humor, which you can definitely expect in this series.
1: Every character has multiple dimensions, really.
2: Obviously it's a scripted show, but they
0: don't feel scripted.
2: They feel real. They feel genuine.
1: If kids find value in things, I think there is value in them, because it is art in its own way, and it is very important.
0: Whatever it is, just own it, you know? Love what you do and do what you love. If it's cool to you, then, you know, who cares about what the others say? Someone once told me the grass is much greener on the other side.
2: We immediately start out and we see Courtney, like, looking through her sort of compact mirror, and we see her already fascinated with Ginger's world, right? She's very interested in everything they do and all of the things. And they say something about, they're, they're calling seats for whoever gets, I always called it shotgun as a kid, but whoever gets like the front seat. And Courtney's just like mesmerized by that. She's like, what's seats What does that mean? She's she's just so enamored with everything in Ginger's life. And that starts out very quickly in this episode.
1: I do want to just generally say that this episode is one of the best first episodes of a show that I've seen, especially of a Nick show, because it doesn't give us too much forced exposition. It pretty much gets right in there. And we just learn, like, we have this dual montage of the girls painting their nails in their two groups, Ginger, her friends Dodie and Macy, in one group, and then Courtney and Miranda in another. And we learn so much about them, and so much of the future of the show is set in those first five minutes.
2: I feel like a lot of times, and with the pilots that we see too, that there's major shifts in the characters and who they are. And this one seems, and I'll have to see as the show progresses, but it seems like they've, they figured out the characters pretty well at the beginning of the show. You know, they, they know what they want to create and they don't, like you said, it's not too much forced exposition. You just kind of are in a day of their lives and it's very easy to follow. Very easy to pick up on exactly kind of who these guys are.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you have a lot of cartoons that when you see the first episode, it's either one of three things. It's a first episode that, you know, it generally introduces the characters and the setting and all that stuff. But you get very little information about it. It's just one of those first episodes in which you get little bits here and there, but it's an introduction episode. Then you have an episode that has too much exposition, in which it just overwhelms you. And then you have one that... um is the right balance between, like, you have the right amount of characters, um, a decent setting, and then it follows up into which you want to continue watching it. And I feel that As told by Ginger is one of the best examples on that. Uh, that, Invader Zim's first episode and Avatar The Last Airbender's first episode are, like, what I would consider to be, like, the prime examples for a Nicktoon in which... You have a setup, you have characters, and you have this goal and you wanna be able to continue watching it so you can understand on where it's leading up to.
1: Totally. And I, I also want to mention, in terms of introductions, Carl and Hoodsey's introduction is so perfect for what their relationship ends up being. We see them playing with these dentures, like old-person dentures, and they're fascinated by them, and they're picking, like, prunes off of them. It's so revolting, and so them.
2: Yeah, they they have quite a few uh, revolting moments, so it definitely gets the stage set for that concept nice and quickly. We also... Moving forward a little bit, um, so, well, Blake tries to blackmail them, but doesn't actually know, apparently, how blackmail works, because he tells him the the information, and then says, I'm blackmailing you. (laughs) Like, well, now we don't need to do anything for you, because you just told us
0: the information we wanted, so, thanks. And, um, this is where we first learn about how, um, you know, Ginger has to steal the enter sign from a bank to give to Courtney as a birthday present. And, you know, Ginger talks to Darren about what should I do? Should I steal the sign or should I not steal the sign? If I steal the sign, then maybe there is a chance of me going to prison. Or if I do steal it, maybe Courtney will like it. But if I don't steal the sign, then I'll have to show up with a crummy gift. And then my life will become a prison. And the only thing that Darren would say about it is that, well, I hear that... You know, prisoners get to sleep on bunk beds. I guess bunk beds are kind of (laughs) cool.
1: I love Darren.
0: Yeah, Darren's great. And I I feel like that also just helps kind of
2: introduce a little bit of their, you know, their friendship where she's, you know, she goes to him a lot for advice and things. And I feel like he oftentimes doesn't really know the best thing to say. So he just kind of goes with his, his thoughts.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you can tell from even the first episode that he doesn't exactly know what to say in certain advice moments. When Ginger's having problems, he says some things, but maybe they're not the right things, which is great because that's pretty relatable. If you're a person and you've never gone through a situation and your friend is going through it right now, what would you say? You try to say, what would you feel about it? But Maybe you don't exactly know the right solution.
1: Totally, yeah, and that's a big tenet of the show, and one of Hey Arnold. That well, you saying that made me think of Hey Arnold too. It's similar.
0: I even mentioned this when I was talking about this episode in my top fifteen. As told by Ginger's episodes list that Miranda did something in the first episode that Princess Azula from Avatar: The Last Airbender couldn't do to Iroh and Zuko throughout season two, trying to arrest them. <laughs> <coughs> Honestly. So yeah, I mean, Princess Azula, you know, really evil princess who wants to capture them so she can be able to follow her father's orders. And, you know, she has the power to not only fire Ben but to shoot out lightning. She couldn't capture them until, you know, she eventually convinced Zuko to capture Iroh in the last episode of Season 2. But here we have Miranda... First episode, she arrests the main protagonists. Bravo.
1: I hadn't thought of that comparison. That's hilarious.
0: And one of the greatest things about this show is his continuity. Immediately from the second episode, when it starts, they're heading over to the nursing home for community service because they were arrested for Ginger stealing the enter sign from the bank. And that was a follow-up to the previous episode.
1: I love the continuity as well. Um, In multiple ways, because as we'll see, not in this episode, but later, later on, the eyeball comes back. And uh, there are lots of little through lines that come up again and again throughout the show.
0: Right before the time of As Told by Ginger and a few occasional animated shows... There wasn't a lot of continuity with every single episode. Every single episode was standalone, it was episodic. So you can just watch any episode of any cartoon and you would be perfectly fine with it. You won't have to worry about character progression or storylines. Asshole by Ginger was like one of the first that really took the notion of uh, why don't we continue where the last episode left off and build up upon it. And that's a great thing because, you know, it could have been just like any other, you know, cartoon that aired at the time in which it was just like, oh, um, you know, this happened. Well, okay, uh, we'll just fix it in some way. Like, When Carl gets his petrified eyeball stolen, I mean, he could have probably gotten it back when Blake was climbing up to the treehouse or Ginger was getting arrested. Maybe she could have, you know, said something and trying to get herself out of it and everything would have been back to normal. But no, one of the good things about it is that it keeps everything. It'll continue to stay that way throughout the series and it builds up upon it.
2: Yeah, I love that as well. The way that it has continuation and I I do want to give it some credit for not being so much of a continuation that you can't watch the episodes out of order to an extent, you know, like each episode is still, it still can stand alone and you could still watch them and it's still, you know, you understand it. But definitely I'm thinking, and part of the reason we wanted to watch it all so much is because of the continuation to really understand the whole story as an arc.
1: Absolutely. Um, she goes to this, uh, nursing home where, uh, Carl meets an elderly woman named Maud, who is basically Ashley in retirement, let's be honest.
2: <laughs> I think I would be a little bit more sane, perhaps.
1: Well, we'll check back in like 60 years.
2: <laughs> 60 years, guys, we'll be doing... Some
0: kind of a Nicktoons podcast still. Yeah, we'll be looking back fondly on pig Goat Banana Cricket or Fanboy and Top <laughs> Shop. <Josh. laughs>
1: Patricia, I was gonna say pig Goat Banana Cricket specifically. That's so funny. Uh, but yeah, it's so, it's actually really endearing how quickly Cla- uh, Carl takes to Maud. I just called him Claude, which might be their cop- couple name. Um,
0: I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if there's like a fanfic online that ships them so hard.
1: God. <laughs> We, of course, can't go very long without Courtney getting involved in an episode of As Told by Ginger. I actually didn't realize how just how involved Courtney is in the show. I knew she was a character, but at least in these first couple episodes, she's like a major role in all of
0: it. Yeah, and the reason why Courtney's in this episode is because Courtney was so enamored with Ginger being arrested for trying to rob a bank that she wants to get to know Ginger more. So she invites herself for dinner. One of the things that I really do love, um, when after Courtney is done talking to Ginger, uh, she was talking to Blake, who's sitting there uh, with the remote control, moving the TV and stereo up and down. And she says like, you know, you you remember what mama always says, you know, even if you're, you know, friends with a person, you have to be able to manipulate them and let them have, uh, trying to see if you can get it your way. And then she just smiles and says, you know, won't you be a dear and grab me my book bag? And then he just looks, he has this great face, and then yeah. he just walks over to get her book bag.
1: That's a great scene. And we, what I noted there is that all of the kids are performing adulthood in this show. They're all either trying to be like their parents or just try to act like they're already adults and they're already independent, and none of them are.
2: I think that's pretty common of middle schoolers as well, because you're, you just, you know, you want to be cool, you want to be grown up. I think that's when, like, a lot of girls start wearing makeup and stuff, so you start feeling like, oh, I'm so old, I'm so mature, like, this is such a adult whatever, which, whether or not you're mature in middle school is pretty, pretty debatable.
1: And then this episode takes a really dark turn. <laughs>
2: Out of nowhere, too. I, I like, didn't think it was real at first.
1: I thought for sure it was going to yeah. go a different direction.
2: Carl comes back in, right, and... I don't even know if he does, but we flip back to them all at the kitchen table. Uh We do get a joke by Lois where she's like, oh, she's on their father's side, really, because she's just being really uncomfortable. She's asking uh Courtney to chew her food for her, and, Ugh. like, moments later... She just like falls face down onto the table and she is dead genuinely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, yeah, she's
2: like I I thought maybe she just passed out or something. No, like that's that really happened. Stunning.
1: Carl gives the eulogy. She gives she donates her gallbladder to Carl. It's all very dark and Carl's really shaken up about it.
0: Yeah, and then the episode ends with Hoodsy saying, yeah, you wanted to go drop some water balloons up on the roof? And then he smiles and says, I think Maud would have liked
1: that. Oh, poor Maud.
0: <laughs> yeah. So then we have Courtney and Miranda talking about the ski trip, and they want to make things interesting. They're trying to find who would be the right person to kind of hook up with Jean-Pierre over at the ski lift, and Courtney suggests Ginger, because why not? And so... <laughs> Courtney gives the bet on that she can get Ginger to go first base with Jean-Pierre up in the ski lift, and Miranda doesn't think that's going to happen. And then Courtney says, well, loser has to do homework for the other person for a whole week. And then Miranda says, you are going down.
2: It's a pretty intense bet, and of course, again, we always have to have uh, Ginger involved in their lives, right? And it's it's also... It's kind of an uncomfortable bet I feel like to have to be like, oh, I'm gonna get these two people to get to first base, the the always confusing base system of of all of the things that
0: happen, right?
1: What a diplomatic way of saying that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if you're wondering for the younger listeners, we're not referring to baseball. We're referring to the other first base. <laughs>
1: This is another merit of the show, though, is it's not afraid to take on issues that are taboo, and it's not inappropriate. I don't think it's wildly crass or too much. It might be for, like, a six-year-old, but for young teenagers, this is a very relevant episode and one that would be, I think, helpful in some ways in terms of processing weird hormones and emotions.
2: Do they have equivalents with other sports games? Do people have, I don't know, first quarter? I don't know. I don't know. These are the things that bother me in my days.
0: (laughs) I think it is that term of first base being like an American thing. I don't know if they use it in other countries, so it could be.
1: Let us know in the forum if you are not American and if your country does or does not use the base system.
0: I also want to bring up the, um, the jacket that Ginger wears. I'm sure that maybe at one point in our lives we all had to go through this in which if we don't have something, we're given like a hand-me-down, whether it be from like a sibling or from our own parents. So you have this old, musty, stained jacket, and she has no other choice but to wear it. And so Dodie recommends that she calls it vintage because it looks like something that came out of the 70s and it just crawled up somewhere and died.
1: Yeah, it's a nice supportive moment from Dodie, though, talking about her complication, that she, you know, tries to spin it in a positive way, even though it looks horrible, and huge, too, it's way too big.
0: Oh, yeah, so we can even tell from the, the jacket that Lois was a bit on the heavy side, even when she was a child. Yeah, and I, I
2: think, too, this is uh, one of those uh, moments where we kind of get an insight that they're probably not especially wealthy, right? And, and, I mean, there's clues of this throughout the episodes, but definitely the idea that, like, they're they're not going to go out and buy a jacket, right? They have one. And I think in Lois's mind, she's just helping her out, but it's not any kind of attractive.
1: Yeah. So we get to the ski lodge, and uh, Macy has an adorable line where they line up for the slope. And she goes, shouldn't we not be standing this close? People might think we're standing in line to ski. And Toadie's like, Macy, that's that's what we're doing.
0: (laughs) And also another thing, that's also another one of my favorite moments. When we first get introduced to Jean-Pierre, so... Um, Ginger is asking Dodie about if she knows how to French kiss. And then Dodie's like, of course I do. And then Macy's shocked about this, saying like, wait, you were keeping this from me? Who are you? I I I think I've seen it like once. It's really simple. And then they just do like this little kiss. And then they all do it. And then Jean-Pierre skis past them and says, bonjour, my little snow chickens. (laughs) And then they just look at each other embarrassed. (laughs) Yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, it's, you know, I feel like that's, again, that's one of those things you see in real life a lot, is the sort of, like, who's experienced, right, who's who knows more things, who, who knows what this is, who's done that, whatever, and so you can see them all trying to work that in. But Darren's at the bottom of the hill, and he's like, oh, I thought you said you couldn't ski, and she's like, yeah, I didn't think I could, and then just crashes right into him.
1: And then he dies too, like Maud. <laughs> oh, <no, could> you... <laughs> There's a brutal death in every episode of the show.
0: <laughs> it's like South Park. <laughs>
1: yeah. <gotta> <laughs> right. Just poor old Maud, and then later a family member, but I can't think of any other deaths. Can we talk about the theme song real quick? We haven't talked about it yet, and I feel like we owe it to the show. Sure. It's. I mean, Ashley and I both just declared it our favorite on the Friday Night Nicktoons podcast. Without premeditating, we didn't know each other's list. We both said it's our favorite theme song of all Nicktoons.
0: I would have to say the same yeah, thing for me.
2: It encapsulates the show so well in so many ways. It, it brings the feeling, into, uh, like the name of our podcast, the I'm In Between line, really gets the the feeling of when you're in that age and you're kind of envying everybody, but you're all in the same place And it just, uh, it's such a good song for this show.
0: It fits so well. Yeah. And when you think about it, like all the other Nicktoons throughout the 90s, they pretty much have no lyrics. Uh, It was only until, believe it or not, Rocket Power in which it started to have lyrics with theirs. And then eventually we had SpongeBob. Oh, no, wait, it's CatDog. So we had CatDog first.
1: I love CatDog's theme song.
0: Yeah, cat dogs theme songs pretty fun. Um, then we had um Rocket Powers, and then we had SpongeBobs. Throughout that time, there weren't a lot of like lyrics to their theme songs. I mean, there's no lyrics to Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, and well, Doug's is just dude dude dude. And, you know, Our real monster's the same. Rocco's Modern Life is just repeating the title. Hey Arnold is also repeating the title. Kablam's is um is basically a rendition of a song called Two-Tone Army by the Toasters. And then pelswick's is also an instrumental. And then we go over to Estill by Gingers. And it def- it's like a perfect showcase on what the show is going to be about, as well as having... A memorable tune as well as, you know, good lyrics, uh, both written by the creator herself and the music composer, uh, Jared Faber. Jared Faber, similar to Jim Lang, has pretty much done the music for every project that Emily Kapnick has been involved in. He also did the soundtrack for Suburgatory, which is also an amazing soundtrack. Also, uh, for As Told by Ginger fans, if you are interested, I highly recommend that you watch uh, Suburgatory because Suburgatory is basically As Told by Ginger, but live action.
1: Yeah, I love this theme song. It's got this sort of muted, like, 70s wah-wah guitar feel, and the lyrics are so relevant. And it was sung by a whole bunch of different singers, which we talked about on our show a little bit. We'll get into that more another day. Um, It's it's just phenomenal. So I love at the top of this episode the contrast we see between the two families, from Courtney's family to the Fowleys, where they're having this prim and proper conversation about, oh, sleepovers, where they sleep on the floor, how, you know, how delightful, how quaint, and then we cut over to the Fowleys when Courtney comes over to ask about the sleepover, and you just hear uh, Lois yelling, "Will someone get the door?" And it's kind of chaos in their house, and this sort of, you know, the classic Foutley vibe of like a little disheveled, but they're doing what they can, you know. And it's so contrasted.
2: Yeah, they they're truly from uh, two different worlds, Courtney and Ginger. You you can you can feel it, and uh, it's you know it's again it's it's sort of one of those. Who has it better? Grass is always greener on the other side. Situations, because Ginger has a lot more of a real down-to-earth feel, and Courtney's Courtney's somewhere else, man. She's she's in another planet, truly. And but yeah, we we have Carl trying to get the the eyeball back. We have Ginger excited for this lumber party, and similar to the first party, Doty and. Macy are both very excited about the idea of Ginger being at this, because they're all fascinated with Courtney's life. They want to see her room, they want to know what's in it, they want to know what everything's about, and so we see that that sort of excitement from them.
0: Yeah, and we even cut back into um, Dodie's house, and Dodie is quizzing Ginger about Courtney's friends, which I kind of find interesting. It's like, You know, they know about Courtney's friends, like one of them is um, Mipsy, uh, and she's going to be like a character that's going to be seen throughout the series. And it's like, you know, what does she have in her charm bracelet? And, you know, getting to learn about them so that Ginger doesn't feel awkward whenever she, um, if she goes over to the slumber party and she doesn't know who any of these people are. So it's kind of nice that, you know, Dodie is willing to help Ginger out with, you know, learning about who Courtney's friends are. That way it doesn't become, like, too awkward for Ginger because, you know, she's going to be the odd one out. And, you know, she's not one of the popular kids, and she doesn't know them very well, I mean, with the exception of Miranda, but we already know about that. So it's really nice to kind of see that dynamic. And then we cut over to Carl's side where he wants to try to open up a jar of rotten eggs. Pussy was, like, really shocked by it. He said, we're not supposed to use that, you know, unless it's for emergency purposes. And so he opens it up, and it stinks up the entire house, and it even scares away Joanne's book club.
1: Yeah, so they, yeah, they storm out, and uh, Carl gets grounded, and Lois is like, she's been doing that big book club for 10 years, and Carl's very proud of himself, and Okay, it I, probably seems like I'm obsessed with Dodie by this point, but I have another point about Dodie. <laughs> she's, before the sleepover, Dodie is so living vicariously through Courtney's affection towards Ginger. Like, Dodie is not quite jealous, but she's so excited that their friend group is getting that attention through Ginger. So Dodie is quizzing Ginger on everyone who's going to be at the sleepover with flashcards about who their nicknames are, what their likes are. It's kind of creepy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's it's a little over the top, to say the least. She means well in a way. She's so obsessed with the idea of popularity that I feel like it kind of brings up some issues.
1: I also had this thought when Hoodsy gets busted wetting the bed and they're all making fun of him uh for, for some reason i thought the plot was gonna go if it went the typical trophy route they're all laughing at hoodsy and ginger is trying to defend him for some reason i had it in my mind that she just starts peeing <laughs> and then says like see it happens to everyone it doesn't happen i don't know why i had that in my head <laughs> but...
2: i don't know where your mind is casey
1: <laughs> like you know what i mean in like a in like a The leader embarrassing themselves to help out the little guy, kind of way, where it would make dramatic sense.
0: Yeah, dramatic sense, but not physical sense, right?
1: (laughs) No, not at all.
0: Then we see Courtney and Miranda approach her, and Courtney says, Well, Pody, I hope that you're an improvement on Brett. And, you know, Dodie is really excited because this is kind of like for her. She thinks that Courtney has practically congratulated her. But even though that she pronounced her name wrong, she still takes it. It's like, Oh, I don't mind. I feel okay now. Let's go.
2: Yeah, I think that, again, this just shows that sort of side of Dodie where any kind of glimpse into popularity that she has is a big deal to her. And she gets super excited about any vague attention from the the popular kids. And I feel like in many ways she sees this, you know, school announcements position as like sort of her in into joining in with the cool kids. And I think we see that more as the episode goes on, too.
1: Yeah, that's definitely been a running theme throughout the show in the five episodes we've seen so far. It's been the concept of more or less every episode. Dodie is obsessed with the attention from Courtney towards Ginger, and it's this weird sort of, not even a triangle, well, it might be a triangle, but no, it's like a square, because Macy's not really involved, but it's this weird, complicated relationship between Dodie and Ginger and Miranda and Courtney, and it's all, it goes all which ways, (laughs)
0: Yeah, and it's going to get even more complicated as the series progresses, so don't you worry.
1: I do have a bit that was sort of like, that spoke to me very personally. Uh, when Dodie was getting ready to do the morning announcements, she's very much like me when I'm getting ready to start podcasting <laughs> with Friday Night Nicktoons around this. <laughs> she's She started doing random vocalizations and just sort of getting her game face on before she's on the mic.
0: <laughs> and then Macy yeah. asks her, "Is like... Sounds good. What's it mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and then she's absolutely me here when she says an on-air personality never knows what words she'll have to pronounce.
2: Yeah, thankfully in ours we can edit, so you don't have to get quite as uh, worried as Doty does. But I can I can confirm Casey right before we we start up. He has his warm ups and all that all that good stuff, getting himself mentally prepped for it. Mm-hmm.
0: So continuing with the morning announcement, so we cut into the homeroom where Dodie starts announcing simple things like, oh, the chocolate pudding is in the ceiling, but then she starts as, you know, slowly she starts getting into discussing about particular people, like, oh, uh, the, a drip of chocolate pudding almost hit Courtney Grippling and her all-cream ensemble, and then she starts getting more into the gossip, and... This is when we see people getting humiliated and embarrassed, and then Miranda saying, like, how does she know that? I don't even know that. And then Courtney gives Dodie a compliment, and then when Dodie hears about it from Ginger, she's really excited about it. And now she wants to know more gossip so that more people can get interested in listening to the morning announcements and that she can be able to have one step closer to being more popular.
1: In reality, the school totally should have shut Dodie down the second she started talking about gossip on the announcements. That's so out of line.
2: Yeah, that's actually exactly what I was thinking, too. What, what kind of a middle school is like, oh, you know, we don't have enough gossip going around nowadays. Let's let her say it to the entire school over the announcements on a daily basis. This is a healthy thing. Let's let this keep happening. Like, it's, it's a little bit, a little ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know why this, the principal or any of the staff didn't tell Dodie, uh, Dodie, we're not allowed to be talking about things that don't involve with the school. And they never do. They never say, um, excuse me, Dodie, uh, we don't like the way that you told the students that one of our chefs in the cafeteria used to work at a prison Or, you know, you shouldn't be saying that one of the students had cheated on his girlfriend with another student. So, yeah, I mean, unless it's something like, oh, maybe she was saying it in like the one of those ATV kind of things in which maybe only a handful of students would be watching it. That could probably make sense. But She's saying it in front of the entire school. Everybody in the school is listening to her, and she never gets called out on it, which is kind of odd. I wonder if maybe Chet, when him being the announcer for so long, maybe it's like, maybe we can get the students to actually listen. So I have no idea. Maybe this is a desperation, or maybe this is just a off but it's kind of confusing.
1: And the teachers are kind of into it, too, so it's not like the teachers are really going to make sure that it stops.
0: Yeah, they're they're not exactly great
2: influences here. Is what it basically comes down to.
1: And, uh, yeah, when the drama becomes about lice, that's where I think it goes too far. Also, there's no reason to, for lice to have the taboo that it does. Or for Ginger's mom being the lice nurse to, uh, push everyone as over the top as they were. Ginger truly has no need to be embarrassed, and you just want to tell her... If you wear it with pride and say, who cares, they might leave her alone. But you also wish the other kids would just knock it off.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just lice. It's not a big deal. I had lice when I was in high school. Sure, it sucked having it. And I had to cut my hair because the lice was getting too out of control. And, you know, because lice is much more difficult to get rid of when you have longer hair. But it wasn't that bad, to be quite honest. I only had it for maybe like two weeks. But, yeah, it's not like the worst thing in the world. It's not like it's, I don't know, like the Spanish flu or the bubonic plague or something.
2: Yeah, it's definitely overstigmatized. It's one of those things that it's inconvenient to have. It's not great. I would always choose to not have lice over having lice, but it doesn't mean that you're a dirty person or whatever. And as we see... Eventually, as Courtney is found out to have lice, that often they actually like clean environments more, so...
1: Yeah, it's funny, I remember that crystal clearly from this episode. I like, when this episode started, I told Ashley, I was like, Oh my god, this is the one where Courtney gets lice... And she thinks that having clean hair is good, but it's not, and that really messed me up because it sort of doesn't make sense in the universe. Like, but she's but like if your hair is clean, it should be better, right? But no, they actually like clean hair. But let's start with this video.
2: Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those educational about you videos, and it's called like you and your pituitary gland, and it is like the most strange thing that's happening. And then there's this line that made me so uncomfortable, and it's like...
1: Oh my god, can we even read it?
2: Who's the hardest-working gland with the most sex appeal? Why, the petituary, of of course, watches it secretes and secretes. And it's like in this sort of seductive voice that I'm like, what's happening? What are we watching?
1: (laughs) I can't believe that made it into the show. It's so much... (laughs)
0: Yeah, that is so crazy. I mean, this is this came out in 2000. So yeah. you have something like the pituitary gland, where it's basically a gland that helps with your harmonial sex appeal, and they're mentioning this for a kids show. <laughs> you know, the same <laughs> yeah, network yeah, that has working. SpongeBob and Fairly Odd Parents. You have something like As Told by Ginger talking about sex.
1: I think there are parents who got upset about SpongeBob because they thought SpongeBob and Patrick are implied to be gay. I remember that being something that happened. That's a total stretch, but this is literally happening in the show. There's no no qualms about it. It just happens.
0: Yeah, well, then again, as told by Ginger, was pretty much overlooked when it came out, so I guess nobody really cared. Yeah, so I
2: guess that, that let him get away with it, which was, yeah, crazy. But... <laughs>
0: Anyway, so yeah, I just want to really ask a lot of you guys, maybe for, especially with all of our listeners, when you were a kid or when you were in, you know, middle school, I mean, were you forced into watching these kind of, you know, old 1970s, 1980s feature films about, You know, this kinds of subjects, because when I was a kid and I wanted to learn about science and stuff like that, we always played like Bill Nye, the science guy or the magic school bus or something. And then when I got older, we started seeing things that were from the the Discovery Channel or something. If it was the year 2000, this thing is like clearly like almost 20 to 30 years old what they were watching.
1: Yeah, I was in elementary school. In 2000, I believe. I would have been starting kindergarten in 2000, which is kind of weird. It was both. Like, I, we watched Bill Nye. We watched that kind of stuff. But there was also, like, weird, old, poorly acted science videos that honestly are kind of great now, watching them, because they're just so hilarious. But, yeah, they were definitely a thing.
0: And um, then Ginger starts thinking more into it. And then we have um, the dream sequence, where when Ginger is riding bikes with J- Darren... And, you know, she's sitting on the pedals. We see at first that she's talking to Darren about, oh, you're not going to believe what Miranda said about us. And then we cut into Ian and then she's floating with the bike pedals. There's like this 1960s or 70s love ballad. And we have her floating by with Ginger and Darren saying, hey, you guys make a really cute couple. Then she enters the school and Miranda's holding the door for her. And then we cut into her flying into Darren's tooth. And she's kind of confused about the dream. She's wondering, is this really true? Are Darren and I meant to be more than just friends? And we do kind of see her questioning that throughout the episode.
2: Yeah, and again, I say this about the show all the time, but this is so real. Like, I feel like, one, all the time there's this sort of feeling of like, are we just friends, are we not? And I think also you'll see a lot of times the suggestion of another person saying like, oh like do you like so and so gets you like so in your head about it you're like no but does it seem like i do do i like what's happening especially when you're younger you're kind of just trying to figure out like what any of this is so just totally feel that confusion
0: yeah when kevin and i were first starting old school lane we've received like maybe a comment or two saying like are you guys boyfriend and girlfriend and i'm like no, Kevin and I have known each other for 20 years. We're not that close. We see each other as brother and sister. I mean, maybe there was one time in which I did have something like that when I was in high school, but when I told Kevin this, he was like, I feel really uncomfortable. I cannot see you as us being together because you are my best friend. You are like a sister to me. And I'm afraid that if we start going out with one another, and if we ever argue, then I'm afraid that our relationship's going to be over. So we never pushed it to another level. We stayed friends ever since. And Kevin has an amazing girlfriend, Christina, who I'm also really good friends with. And I'm not jealous whatsoever. We know our path in which we're friends. We'll always stay friends. And we're never going to go into that other level.
1: Yeah, I guess I should take this moment to quell the rumors of Ashley and I, you know, of which there are none. <laughs> 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 uh, that would be a mess. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, you mentioned that, and I remember, I'm kind of surprised that we we haven't really gotten any rumors, but our, our banter, is, I think, indicates that that is not <laughs> something that is possible.
2: Uh, but yeah that's it's certainly a common issue amongst friendships and you know what what things are so feeling her confusion and we'd see too like after this at the lunch table she kind of like awkwardly like half flirts with him in like this really uncomfortable way and darren's just kind of like why are you acting funny like (laughs) so
1: clueless oh she gets so weird (laughs)
0: Yeah, she does get really weird. I really like the quote that Macy tries to bring up the excuse that when Darren is asking, "Why are you guys smiling?" and then he says, "Oh, we're just talking about how terrific yesterday's chili dogs were."
1: Oh man, yeah, it's it's such an uncomfortable episode to watch because it's so real. Like, I, man, it really this episode took me back in a lot of ways, and I'll bet, I'll bet it does for a lot of people who watch the show. Of just, oh man, it's so awkward navigating this time in your life, and. Ginger does it better than most, but even she is an awkward, bumbling mess.
0: Ah, sounds terrific! Ugh, ah, that's so bad!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah.
2: <laughs> but they nail it in this episode, too. They make it so, so believably awkward. You, like, you cringe, but just because it's a little too real. Well, Carl and Tootsie go over to Blake's place to try to get the, the telescope, and uh, he's... In the hospital, getting his tonsils removed. So, uh, I think Carl debates stealing it, and Hoodsey reads off like this rule of the the new toy code where he talks about how you can't play with somebody's new toy before they've played with it. And Carl's like, Well, who wrote that? Like, who even cares about that? And Hoodsey's like, You wrote it, circa second grade. And just like, I just love the way they interact.
1: The reverence they treat the, the written word and like their weird sort of legal system that they've devised is so entertaining to me.
0: Yeah, and so in order for Carl and Hoodsey to get Plague's permission, they decide to write a get well card. And um, they get it from Ginger Stationery, and we see Carl and Hoodsey thinking about what to write for Blake. And then you have Hoodsey saying, some don't know what they got until it's gone. And me and Carl found out a little too late. And it sounds like, and he's like saying, it's a song, Carl, a really good song. The kind of song that makes people cry.
1: <laughs> They're so good.
0: Yeah, I, I, think that there, I think there was like a reference to a song. I, I think there are some lyrics in which it's like, you don't know what you got until it's gone.
1: Yeah, it's a Joni Mitchell reference uh, that reveals so much about... Hoodsy's character that he listens to Joni Mitchell, he, his sensitive side is is there, and it's out in the open.
0: Hoodsy's one of the best characters. Yeah, exactly. And they're seeing Blake laying down, and they're trying to wake him up so they can be able to be nice with him, they're trying to grovel him into convincing him to let them borrow the telescope, and... Even though that Blake is completely weak from getting his tonsils removed, he slowly gets up and he just yells out, ''No!'' And Carl and Hoodsy are feeling pretty defeated until they go into the room where the body parts are being held in mason jars. And they're treating this like they just went into Disney World. They're saying it's like the most magical place in the world. When Hoodsy finds um, Blake's tonsils, Carl has this little tear in his eye like he had just found a toy that he's always wanted for Christmas at like half percent.
2: Yeah, it's it's a pretty magical moment for them and you know things in jars as we saw the the eyeball earlier have are very precious to them so they're they're pretty thrilled about it and now they have his tonsils which i i think they just have them at the end of the episode is that right is this another one of those moments where we'll have to watch and see what happens
0: yes trust me the tonsils <laughs> will be coming back
1: i'm sure yeah they're so gross i do love when they first approach blake on the hospital bed hoodsy puts on this like sort of parent voice or like owner talking to their dog and he goes hello there friend hi and it just made me lose it i thought it was so funny oh he's so weird and great yeah and
2: I do like that we have this real talk between Ginger and Darren where they sort of sort out, like, why she's been acting weird and that they're open to be able to talk about it and it's not too uncomfortable of a conversation, honestly.
1: Oh, it's so cute. It's, like, so... It's awkward, but not in a way that was awkward before. It's more naturally awkward, whereas before was so forced. And it's... It's... (laughs) When she tells him... (laughs) that she thought maybe she saw him as more than a friend. He So he goes, are you serious? And it cracks me up. It was, it was like randomly he was like a college frat boy.
0: <laughs> when Ginger finds out that the letter that she had received was from her father, Darren is kind of skeptical about it because he knows that Ginger's father wasn't around in their lives. He has been known for um not showing up in situations, not calling and with the letter coming in which is actually a graduation card wishing her a happy graduation. I mean, it's a few months late. Um uh, we can even see that, you know, it was last June that they graduated and it's already fall. So, this was like from months ago and Ginger reads more into the letter about how her father is very sorry that he wasn't around during their lives and he wants to be a part of it more. He leaves a phone number, and Ginger is kind of slowly trusting that maybe he's willing to change, while Darren, on the other hand, isn't really as convinced. Yeah, and I think this
2: is the first real discussion we've had. I think up until this point, he's just kind of not been there, maybe referenced, but definitely not talked about uh ginger's dad and i think again this is this is one of those setups the dealing with a divorced household in a very real very non lecturish way is a really cool thing and i I think too the way that we see ginger try to you know she gets really excited about this and i think the hesitation we see between her and darren and, and how he's trying to be a good friend and wants to be encouraging but also doesn't want to say like Yeah, your dad's gonna be there for sure, because he's totally there for you now, because he doesn't want to watch her get hurt again, and I just, I think it shows their friendship in a really great light.
1: It does, and he's sort of her voice of reason in this episode, and I think he's right, and he, he ends up being right, obviously, and, uh... It's good that she has his input in this very tricky situation.
0: Yeah, Darren could have easily said, oh, well, your father has left you his phone number? Well, that clearly means that he's going to be more part of your lives now. Because Ginger has been going through this for so long, I guess because, you know, him and Ginger have a close relationship with one another, he is really honest with Ginger, saying, you know, you have to be careful that your dad doesn't snuff you again, just like he has in the past. And, you know, he could have clearly lied to her, but no, he was being really honest with her. And Ginger wants to give her father another chance. We even see her struggling with trying to say the right words to talk to her father when she wants to call him on the phone. And it's such a real thing, too, because, you know, she doesn't know what to say. And she even looks into a family album. And the only thing she sees of her father is his leg And that's basically a perfect example on how much of a restraining relationship that her father was to their lives. Pretty much never around. And it's really strong because with Nickelodeon shows back in the day, the mother was either non-existent to what the plot demanded or dead. Or it was like the stereotypical dumb mom or dad. Uh, But it's in that case in which, you know, now we have an instance in which the family is divorced and we get to see the struggles of it. There have been other Nicktoons in which it has insinuated that the family is divorced, but it wasn't played as real as what happened in as told by Ginger.
2: Yeah, and I think real is a word that I will always go back to with this show and the way they portray everything. It just is. It's very good at taking real situations and talking about them in a way that you feel like these are real characters. And like I said, divorce is always a difficult topic to talk about, and I think they deal with it as well as they could
1: yeah it's just a brutal situation and the poem itself is so relevant to the situation too it all pieces together so brilliantly and that's what i love about this episode that the her the, the art in her life is mirroring what's actually going on in her family life and that's very painful but also beautiful
0: yes absolutely we cut into carl and um they have nothing for sh- for the pet show, and we see Brandon basically kissing up to Mrs. Gordon about his pet monkey, and everybody's, like, really impressed with it. I just want to point out that one of the kids in the classroom brought a flamingo. How come nobody's talking about the flamingo? <laughs> That's pretty incredible, honestly. Is that even,
2: like, are those even obtainable as pets, honestly?
0: I don't they, have a clue. I mean, unless, so were, unless it was like an illegal exotic pet store or if you were from Florida and you just so happened to grab an, a, a flamingo and find a way to raise it, I have no clue. Can you raise a, a flamingo? I mean, I know people have had pets like ferrets and a whole bunch of other creatures, but a flamingo, that is amazing.
2: Yeah, they're pretty big, too. They're, you know, I feel like they'd be. Fairly high maintenance.
0: Anyway, and Mrs. Gordon is so impressed with the monkey, the fact that it blows a kiss and that it's really cute. But seriously, why no flamingo love? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that's so funny. The the poem is so good, especially for a, a middle schooler. It just speaks to her situation so much. I unfortunately don't have any quotes from it. I wish I had some. Do you do you remember any key lines?
0: I actually do remember the poem from Heart. Wow. <laughs> I've watched this show so many times that yes, I do remember the Hello Stranger poem from Heart. So let me read it to you right now. So
1: Amazing
0: we cut into the auditorium where the arts fair is happening. Um, so Courtney presents that she's painting a picture and she says this painting is worth $13,000 a grippling exclusive and seriously $13,000 painted by a middle schooler I know that some people pay <laughs> over a million dollars for an elephant to paint it but that's pushing it too much Okay so Ms. Zorsky gives the announcement saying we'd like to close the arts festival with a poem by a very talented 7th grader and Then Ginger comes into the stage, and she smiles, and she looks a little bit nervous, and then she reads her poem saying, this is a poem for someone special. It's called Hello, Stranger. Hello, Stranger, you came just in time. I see your face in a crowd or in a line. Hello, Stranger, not a moment too soon. See, that old picture is fading in the drawer of my room. Now, toys have gone lost. Baby teeth have come loose. There were accidents involving Stitches, spilled juice, report cards were shown, and one time I got sick, but it isn't anything that I can't catch you up with real quick. Hello, stranger. I saved you a place, and it hardly seems strange now that I've seen your face, and we just have her looking so sad when she finds uh. out that her father never showed up.
1: Oh, and it coincides so well with the, to- with the hopeful tone of the poem, I and mean, you see it take a turn for the worse, and she has to finish reading it. Oh, it's so tragic, and the poem is so good. I love the bit about nothing. I nothing I couldn't catch you up on real quick. Like she's so ready to have him back in her life, even though he's missed so many things.
2: Yeah, it it does such a good job of covering all of, like you said, all the things, like the baby teeth. Like you've missed, you've missed all of this, but it's okay. Like I'm willing to to fill you in on what's there, but he's not around, and you feel that pain. It's it's such a well done moment, and. We also then get this touching moment. We found out that, uh, I think a little bit earlier, but Lois sent flowers and said to put a card in it from uh, her dad. And Ginger gets them, reads the note, and then immediately after calls her mom and says, thanks for the flowers. And it's such an amazing, amazing relationship they have where they both get each other. That She knows that her mom would call to give her the flowers. She knows that, and her mom, you know, knows that, She's just trying to cheer her up, and tries not to take credit for everything. It's, it's so good.
1: It's so beautiful, yeah. That she is okay with her mom lying, and actually respects her for it because she's just trying to help. It's, it's, it's so magical.
0: Yeah, I've, and as mentioned in the last podcast before, but this episode, according to Emily Kapnick, uh, on Twitter, when some, when a fan posted that there was going to be reruns on the Splat. She said, "Thank you." She said that, you know, in her opinion, is her personal favorite episode because she went through the same thing. So she um, also was raised by a single parent, and but, uh, however, unlike Ginger, she actually, you know, she actually, you know, switched in between with her mother and father, and you know, you get to see more of the father's perspective if you ever watch *Suburgatory*, in which the main character Tessa is raised by a single dad. So, but and you know for the most part she was raised by a single mom and her sister and emily went through the same thing when she had to raise her son by herself so i guess even still to this day when talking about hello stranger it still has a special place in her heart and it's uh, and also uh, i want to thank somebody who shared this um article from w- with me because um, apparently, a few months ago, when, um, as told by Ginger, was celebrating the tenth anniversary of the final episode, Emily Kapnick was uh, was interviewed uh, by Entertainment Weekly, and she was talking about how much of an impact that Hello Stranger was for her when she was writing it. Here it is: A lot of Ginger's stories were borrowed from my childhood and the childhoods of the people working on the show. I identified with her a lot. It was a personal show, and Nickelodeon led it be that And let me just read to you about what she said about Hello, Strangers. Okay, so the question from Entertainment Weekly was, do you have any favorite episodes? And she said, I would have to say that I love Hello, Stranger. That was the first one we got an Emmy nomination for. We wound up having three Emmy nominations. It's remarkable because there were primetime Emmy nominations. We were up against shows like The Simpsons. People were like, what is as told by Ginger? No one had even heard of it. And then she talks about another episode that was her all-time favorite besides *Hello Stranger, but we'll get to that much later on.
1: I also, so we start off with a fire drill, and uh, that already took me back to elementary school and middle school days. And uh, we get an interaction between Dodie and Miranda that lasts longer than they've ever interacted before, and it's fascinating.
2: Yeah, because Ginger and uh, Courtney are kind of over in the corner talking, and Miranda- Says like, oh, I guess Courtney and Ginger are best friends now, and Dodie gets super insecure about it, and is like, no, no, they're just, you know, they're just talking, it's all good. But the way Miranda is able to very easily manipulate her, and other people as well, to do what she wants them to do is kind of frightening.
0: Yeah, so... You know, Dodie accidentally shares Ginger's secret of having frizzy Lizzie's. That's basically a secret term of Ginger not being allowed to shave her legs. And Miranda decides to use this as an advantage to use as blackmail to saying to Ginger, you better do my homework and please stay away from Courtney or else I will be saying your secret in front of the entire school. And this secret was actually referenced in an episode that we talked about a few weeks ago, Sleep On It, in which... When the girls are playing truth or dare and Ginger is hesitating on saying her truth statement, Dodie is screaming out, no, no, don't say anything about your hairy legs, Ginger. So there you go. We actually knew about that Ginger had hairy legs even before this episode came out.
2: Right. Another one of those great continuity moments.
1: Totally. And Dodie ends up just blabbing everything to Miranda, because part of me thinks she does this kind of stuff on purpose. Not, like, consciously, but I think she loves stirring up the drama, even if she's not actively making the choice to do it.
2: Yeah, she definitely does become very apologetic, and then she owns up to it later when it comes up in front of Ginger. You know, she admits that she let all these secrets out and stuff. And uh, there's also this, I think it's um, Macy says, well, at least you didn't mention her love for smiley pajamas or that whole tooth fairy thing, which are two secrets that, of course, Dodie also spilled right
0: beforehand and i don't care what anybody says if anybody has smiley pajamas or smiley t-shirts or anything like that i will high five you through the roof that is awesome yeah i'm
2: one to wear all sorts of what could be considered embarrassing pajamas i'm not even gonna lie last night i slept in a cowwood uh onesie and it was comfortable and wonderful and i have no regrets that is awesome A good amount of this episode is covered sort of with Ginger trying to find a way to remove the hair from her legs. She she considers shaving it, but eventually is trying to find sort of a a way to get rid of it without having to shave it because her mom told her she can't shave her legs, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I I, want to bring up a little bit of a tangent here, but... There's another episode that'll, that we'll be talking about later on that, you know, she's that Ginger is forbidden from doing because her mother says so, that I kind of understand, but. This whole shaving the legs thing, this is one that I clearly don't understand. What is the big deal about shaving your legs? I never had this issue with my mom in which I was not allowed to shave. In fact, I was actually encouraged to shave my legs. For my mom, shaving your legs, especially if you're wearing things like shorts, it makes your legs a little bit more attractive. This is one of the
2: the few moments where I don't really agree with Lois' parenting and that, like, you know, it's her personal decision. It's not like it hurts Lois if, She wants to shave her legs. I think it's, you know, if she doesn't want to, that's cool too. I mean, like, I have know people who, like, at my age don't. But I think it's a little bit strange that she's so, like, against it. Like, you can't do this. You cannot shave your legs. Especially when it's causing her so much stress.
0: Yeah, she even brings up this story about how there was a girl her age who ended up shaving her legs behind her mother's back. One thing led up to another with her horse was taken away. And it's like... Okay, what does that have to do with not being allowed to shave her legs? And then she brings up the whole statement about once you start, you can't stop. And it's like, yeah, that's the same thing with everything. If you're trying to keep up with maintaining your body, same thing with washing your hair, same thing with brushing your teeth. You know, you have to do these things so that you can be able to stay consistently primmed and prepped and, you know, consistently clean. That's, that's actually how it works.
2: Yeah. It's definitely one of those things where I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to, by any means, bash Louis, uh, Lois. I love her. I think she does so many things so right. But this is definitely a time where I'm like, well, maybe she could though, just shave them if that's if that's how she's feeling like doing it. But so it goes. <laughs> I So, I agree with you on that completely.
0: Yeah, unless it's something like, you know, you don't need to shave your legs because you're perfectly fine the way you are. I like the natural look. Okay, I, I would completely understand that because I remember seeing a, a video on Facebook last week about people who choose not to shave their legs because they like the natural look. And, like, if you're into that, then that's perfectly fine. But Lois's explanation of Ginger not shaving her legs makes absolutely no sense. As much as I love Lois, she is my favorite character in the series, this is one I'm gonna have to sadly disagree on her advice on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess Casey probably, uh, hasn't gone through the same struggles.
1: <laughs> well, I- no, no, apologies, necessary. And I am with you guys. It's one of the a weird moment for Lois where I think she's just having a hard time letting go of her her little girl, you know?
0: Yeah, but she was kind of open to the fact that Ginger was going to get first base in the episode Stealing First, so there's that.
1: That's true. That is true.
0: That's a way bigger
2: step in, like, your little girl growing up than... Losing some hair on your legs.
0: So then, when we have um, Carl putting on the wig at the doghouse with Hoodsy, and then he kind of like puts it on, oh, you know, over his eyes, he has this fascination of acting like a wolf, acting completely wild. And then eventually that slowly ter- transforms him into wanting to become Wolf Boy.
2: Yeah. This is again, this is one of the weirdest ones. He's very dedicated. I'll give him that on. Pretty much all of his antics, he's very dedicated, but this one, he makes it like a full-time job to act like a wolf. He, but he says things like, to Lois, like, do you think you could pick up some hay for my pen and stuff? He's the uh, the king of phases, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he he really is. He commits hard to every weird thing that he commit that he decides to do. Also, I have this weird moment where Ginger is hiding under the stairwell and she's mortified, and she says to Macy, like, oh, I, I can't just hide under stairwells my whole life. And I just had a feeling. I feel like I've watched the show enough now to know their relationship. And I knew Macy was going to say, well, technically, and she did. She was like, well, if you had, you know, non-perishable food and blah, 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 you could probably make it happen. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, switching back over to the Carl side plot, I love how all the kids buy into this whole wolf boy thing right away, and they're obsessed with it. And Hoodsy as his wrangler is fantastic.
0: Yeah, he basically looks like a ringleader when he says, Step right up and come see the amazing, fantastic wolf boy. And all the kids are just circling around, and then we have Brandon wanting to give Carl a veggie burger, thinking that he'll be fooled by it because it tastes like real meat. Uh, by the way, I just want to let anybody know that it's very, I mean, in rare occasions it does tend to happen, but, you know, with, like, the processed veggie burgers, they don't taste like real meat. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, I've, I've got to agree with you on that one. I can, there's a lot of things where people will be like, it tastes just like such and such. You're like, These, this vegan such and such tastes just like the normal kind. And I wish I could say it did, but it usually doesn't to me. <laughs> Admittedly like there are vegetarian vegan things that are good, but I think they do their best when they try not to taste like things I already eat.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, we have Carl um at first he just has little patches of hair and he starts acting like a wolf. But then, you know, throughout the later part in the episode, he just goes all full you know, full-blown wolf with the fur and everything, but it, all the students are so fascinated with Wolf Boy. They're cheering for him. They they have huge crowds over at the house. It is just insane.
1: Yeah, the development of his costume, so to speak, just gets out of control. It's nuts. And they let him wear it in class for a little bit. And Hoodsey's explanation of it is so funny. He's... He's talking about how because of Carl's formerly recessive hair gene is why he looks like this. And I love that he knows what a recessive allele is and like (laughs) that, that I guess isn't how it would work. But if it were to happen, I guess that's how it would happen.
0: Yeah. Earlier in the episode, Carl was trying to look through Lois's disease book on what would be a good explanation on why he's covered in fur and why he's acting like a wolf. So I guess that's Mm -hmm. where they got it from.
1: Right. Yeah, the hair parallel in this episode is kind of cool that there's, you know... Totally odd, different, unrelated plots, but they're combined by this common sort of foutly hair problem, apparently. Yeah, they all have so much to prove, too, because Courtney, as she quickly explains to the other high schoolers that are in class with them, she goes, we happen to be advanced preteens." <laughs> which, what a statement.
2: <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there's the the two, I guess, mean girls, the popular girls. The, the
0: plastics. plastics. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they totally are. Oh, and you know what the advanced preteens reminds me of? I think it's a SpongeBob quote where he goes, "This isn't regular darkness. This is advanced darkness."
2: Yes, I think that's. Uh, my gut is telling me that it's the rock bottom episode, but I could be wrong on that.
0: Yes, Might it is be. the rock bottom episode. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, and, and you know, I really hate these stereotypical teenagers who think that oh just because you're a grade lower than them they think that they're the higher ups it's the same thing with wolfgang from hey arnold in which he's a fifth grader he's gonna push around the fourth graders it's like come on you're a year older than them what's the big deal and i mean not to age myself i'm at least almost 10 years older than casey and ashley and i'm like oh you shouldn't be liking these nicktoons because you didn't you know you didn't grow up that i didn't blah 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 it's like shut up <laughs>
1: But then, when you're a kid, that uh, that age relative- relativism is so real. Like you always think the kids a year older than you know so much more than you, and it's just not true.
2: Yeah, I remember thinking like, oh man, once I get to high school, I'm gonna be so put together. I'm gonna know what life is. <laughs> and now I'm here, graduating college, and I'm like, yeah. When I get to like, I don't know when, I'll figure out what's happening. Because certainly isn't 22. I can tell you
0: that. <laughs> certainly isn't 30 either and you know this uh, is apparent in the scene in which when macy goes over to the bathroom she hears andrea and chantal the high school girls talking about how much they think that courtney is such a snobby person who's constantly flipping her hair back and forth and she's flirting with will who's darren's brother who we were introduced to in Dare I darren And um, then they think about the idea about let's de-bikini her in front of the whole class to show her what she's made of or not made of. Similar to Dare I Darren, we have another suggestive topic. De-bikiniing a girl.
2: This is so messed up, man. Like, this is just so uncalled for. This is such a stupid thing that happens. Just the whole idea of, like, all of this and, like, stuffing and all of that, and that sort of pressure makes me upset that it is a thing. And I think that pressure is definitely real at that age, too, especially because, you know, there's some girls that start wearing bras earlier than others, and there's, like, all that whole hubbub and mess that is, but they are uncalled for. That is just unnecessary.
1: I think we should let me monologue about this for, like, five minutes, because I clearly have the most relevant experience to this topic. Uh, no. Um, as disturbing as it kind of is, it also, like, almost made me emotional thinking about, like, how many girls grew from this show and had a, a, a piece of media that was helping them deal with some of these things that, frankly, most shows and parents and adults just pretty much ignore.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about it. I, I've even talked about this in my video, my 42 minute long video. I know, shame on me, about why, as told by Ginger, was a groundbreaking yet overlooked Nicktoon. And that was a topic that I did discuss about that. It was a show that was focusing on teenagers and it was more dramatic. Think about a Nicktoon that came out from 1991 up until that point. They were all comedic. Sure, we had, you know, Doug and Hay Arnold, and they talked about everyday life situations, but. You know, it it focused a lot on a balance between comedy and drama. With As Told by Ginger, it delves more into the fact that, yeah, we want to be able to tell a bigger story that focuses on what teenage girls are going through. And this came out around the same time as Caitlin's Way, which is another heavily overlooked show on Nickelodeon that pretty much nobody remembers. And it also delved with the fact that you have a teenage girl who was a delinquent, and she moved from Philadelphia to Montana to live with a family that she didn't know exist and she's struggling with trying to fit in and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was around that time in which, when Nickelodeon was starting to experiment with trying to break in for an older audience— and um, a lot of the times it just didn't work. I mean, you know, granted, for example, as told by Ginger was overlooked for the longest time and Caitlin's way is still pretty obscure. So looking back on shows like this, it gives you a massive appreciation that we actually had something like it.
1: And just think about, it, and we are focused on FNN is obviously Nicktoons. And besides Wild Thornberries and Ginger of this era, they're all male dominated shows you know, even the shows that sort of have a different gender balance, like Rugrats, the protagonist is always male without fail. So I think it's interesting that this show, and I wonder how much of that, frankly, had to do with the show not being as much of a success. If it had been about middle school boys, would it have ran for, would it still be running? I'm not sure.
0: Mm, I don't know. I mean, that's actually a pretty interesting point. I mean, would we be talking about what boys would be going through like maybe a guy's going through puberty or maybe a guy is you know is going on a panty raid or something
1: right yeah it would obviously be a very different show but i wonder if it had been about middle school boys what how it would have been received
0: yeah i mean i doubt i i think that with middle school boys I think that they would have really cranked up the humor. Yeah, I, I think that that would have been a really interesting thing had it been about a boy. But yeah, right. um, going into Carl's and Hoodsy's plot. So there's <laughs> a science fair coming up and they found a magazine in a garbage can when they were kicked out of the of the bus because they said something mean about their the, the bus lady. And they found an, uh, a catalog that contains Albert Einstein DNA for thirty seven dollars. You know, for one of the most influential scientists of all time, uh, Albert Einstein's DNA for $37 is relatively cheap. I mean, think about it. Um, a few years ago, somebody so- sold Justin Bieber's lock of hair for over $40,000. So what makes you think that Albert Einstein's wouldn't be a little bit more expensive?
2: Yeah, and also, I mean, with the preservation of that and all of the things that go into keeping the DNA and being able to even be sure that it is his I would imagine $37 seems relatively cheap to me, too. I mean, and if you know anything, like, um, I sometimes, I do, like, research in a lab, and I can tell you that there's, like, proteins that we get that are, like, $300 for less than, like, a milliliter of them. So, uh, (laughs) yeah.
1: And also, it's clearly just not Albert Einstein's DNA, right? Can we just say that out in the open? (laughs) Because there's just no way.
0: Right.
2: It must not be.
0: Maybe it is Albert Einstein. Maybe it's Albert Einstein from Milwaukee.
1: <laughs> 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 That's hilarious.
2: Ugh. And honestly, though, even if it is, is that really an impressive project? Like, hey, look, this is his DNA. And then, like, so? Like, it doesn't mean anything right like exactly
0: the- it doesn't mean a thing i know that the whole pr- the, the the theme is what makes a genius and just having dna it's like what are you going to say about it just because a, a person has certain dna that makes him special it's kind of like when i i think there was like um there was a, an experiment about a uh, the, of the scientists who think that you know if he's able to get the a professor's brain and he puts it into another body would that make him smarter it's like no, the brain is the same. The point is is that some people are born with learning certain abilities uh you know more than others. You know, some people have more intellect with art. Some people have more intellect with science. Some people have more intellect with math. And with um a whole bunch of things. So, um yeah, it doesn't really matter about DNA or you know brains or anything like that. It's just with Albert Einstein, he was, I mean, if you know about Albert Einstein, especially uh, since there's uh, a more, uh, there's a recent mini-series of Albert Einstein that just came out, if you're interested in checking uh-huh. that out. But yeah, Albert Einstein, he he wasn't a good learner. He He just didn't really do well in school, and he was basically told that he was just basically a failure who will never do anything good in the world. And, you know, later on... He realized his full potential. He went into the world of science and, you know, look where it came out of it. You know, the study of relativity and the atomic bomb, make of that what you will. But yeah, um, it doesn't really matter if you present anybody's DNA. It's just that if you know about Einstein and you can do a hypothesis on it, sure, but just having DNA is nothing. And, oh, um, th- this is one of my favorite scenes ever. So when um, so when Macy grabs more um, appetizers and refreshments, she sees these two high school students kissing, and then she's like, oh, Shame on you! Your mother teaches Sunday school!
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that scene is great. We also get confirmation that Courtney is indeed a woo girl, <laughs> because Ginger pulls her aside and goes uh, you know, maybe, maybe we don't want to play chicken, maybe we want to, you know, she's sort of trying to find a way to prevent what's about to happen, from happening. And Courtney goes, oh, Ginger, I I I knew Miranda would do this, but not you, like, don't get jealous. She goes, now let's go play chicken, and lets out just a woo! <laughs> she walks back to the pool, and it's like, you know what, that makes sense.
2: I feel like you, you yourself are a self-proclaimed woo girl, are you not, Casey?
1: I am. That's true. So Courtney and I are akin in that. Sorry, I have one more quote before it becomes irrelevant. Um, My favorite Macy quote of the whole episode. When they're back to when they're on the phone with Courtney. Ginger's on the phone with Courtney with Macy and Dodie listening in. And uh, uh, they're talking about the bikini again. And Courtney says, I wouldn't be seen without one. And Macy just kind of offhandedly says, wanna bet? (laughs) such a zinger.
2: Such an amazing one-liner there. I feel like that is one of the reasons I love her humor so much too, is kind of how offhandedly it is. Like, it's not thrown in your face kind of humor. It's more off to the side, casual. But Yeah, this one covers a couple of big main things I feel like we all struggled through. One being school pictures, which I hate pretty much any of them that I've ever taken in my life.
0: Yes, I also hate school pictures as well, because I'm going to be posting this on the We're In Between forums if you want to go check that out, or if you follow me on YouTube. I'm actually going to post it right here on the screen, but I actually have one of my old pictures from my old school picture day. I'm going to send this over to Casey and Ashley right now so they can see how disgusting I look. So give me one second. So yeah, what you're seeing on the screen or on the wear in between forms, that is me when I was five years old. And God, look at me!
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: I have my hair that's poofed up that looks like something that you see in the 80s.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I was losing my teeth, and I have this awful dress with pink flowers, and you can see the neon lasers in the background.
1: Yeah, what is up with that? In the 80s uh... and
0: 90s we had this, there was this thing in which they had like the neon lights and lasers, so yeah, that was a thing back then. Right.
1: Ours was very neutral when i it was like a light blue
2: i think i had like a a choice actually we could choose between like if we wanted blue or gray or red but they were still pretty pretty neutral overall
1: yeah that's wow well at least you're not wearing fake up
0: I don't think I was allowed to do a fake up at five years old.
1: Well, neither was Ginger.
0: I was gonna say, Ginger wasn't specifically allowed to not do fake up.
1: Oh, that's true.
0: (laughs) Okay, moving on, and getting rid of this ugly picture, first of all, I'm sorry! Okay, so continuing on with the plot synopsis, so Chet announces that school picture day has been moved to an earlier date and they start freaking out courtney freaks out ginger freaks out everybody freaks out and we even get to that relatable um scene in which uh, ginger dodie and macy are looking through their old school pictures and they're really embarrassed by it including me
1: (laughs) (laughs) and they're like fine the pictures it's like no one really cares about school pictures once they're sort of done with. Although that's not necessarily fair. My friend Jay and I went through our high school yearbook the other day and just sort of tore everyone to shreds, including ourselves.
2: Yeah, I do not like to look upon my old pictures, personally. I look a lot better now, so it's got that going for me.
1: You keep telling yourself that. We'll see what you think in five years, Ashley. Hey, now. Oh, I, want, I have another Macy quote to share right at the top of this episode. There are... Uh, Ginger is on the phone with her mom, and she goes, is that your mom? And Ginger says yes, and she goes, tell her I said hi, and then there's a pause, and then she goes, tell her!
2: Which <laughs> she does, but, yeah. They're going to the store, because her mom needs some foot fungus cream or something, and Ginger's, like, trying to figure out where it is, and they're like, oh, why don't you, like, ask somebody, and she's like, what, I'm supposed to ask, like, what aisle has embarrassing things for parents? And this employee just goes like, aisle 14.
1: <laughs> yeah, th- this show is funny. I think I didn't expect it to be as funny as it is. I laugh out loud pretty much every single episode.
2: Yeah, it's not a comedy, but it's funny. And so they end up going back home and they break one of the first rules, which is that they're not allowed to be in Lois's
0: bathroom when Lois isn't around. Yeah, exactly. They're not allowed to be in her bathroom, period.
1: Yeah, she's more strict than I remember. We've talked about this, and I know Lois really develops more as a character later on in the show. I mean, okay, we had Hello Stranger, so we ha- we have seen Lois be the Lois that we know and love, but she's also pretty strict, and I think that's a credit to her parenting, but also sometimes it's a little over the top.
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. In this episode, I actually kind of- of understand why she bans ginger from putting on makeup until high school because you know maybe for her makeup is revealing to be too much adult you know as opposed to like oh you can't shave your legs because of some superstition or whatever so i guess i kind of understand that but yeah um in this i mean we kind of do see that lois does have kind of strict guidelines but um in this one i kind of understand a little bit
2: Yeah. And it's definitely real. I can tell you, I personally, my mom let me wear makeup when I wanted to wear makeup. Like the first time I brought it up to her, she was like, if you want to go for it, you can go for it. That's on you. Um, partially also because fun fact, I got acne really young and so that was bad and I wanted to wear makeup on it and she
1: understood. And it's a double-edged sword because the more you cover it up, the more acne you get.
2: Not if you wash it properly.
1: That's true. I, I think I was allergic to the stage makeup, so I would, like, cover up for theater, I would, like, cover up acne, and then it would only get worse.
2: If you use the right things, it's not, and if you buy the right makeup, that is meant for... Anyways, we don't need to get into it.
0: Um well, that's but okay, I mean, we I did know... talk about, you know, for the, for five minutes uh, a couple of weeks ago about shaving legs, so I guess makeup <laughs> is okay. <Yeah.
1: laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs>
2: But moral of the story, I know that I had plenty of friends whose parents were, or usually mothers specifically, were very against them wearing makeup until, insert age here. Which, you know, I I get it. I get that it's, like, more adult. I just feel like, to an extent, it's one of those things that doesn't really harm you to do, and... I feel like, to an extent, it's, like, whatever age your kid wants to do it. Usually, too, you have a couple of years when you first start wearing makeup, which, as we see in this episode, where you don't know what you're doing, and it looks horrible, and getting those out of the way earlier is probably better than starting out in high school and making the same mistakes I did. (laughs) It's a process.
0: Yeah, and so now we cut into Carlin Hoodsey's plot. So they're taking out the garbage, and they meet up with Dwayne, who uh, is the garbage man. And Dwayne was actually referenced a little bit in last week's episode of uh, Soul by Ginger*, in which the earwax that they got for their science experiment was from Dwayne.
1: Oh, you're right. I didn't. I watched these back to back, and I didn't even make that connection.
0: Yeah, well, again, continuity.
1: Right, and you don't know who Dwayne is at the time, really. But they do have this, when they're talking to Dwayne, and Dwayne is awesome, by the way. He's so far one of my favorite secondary characters. And they're, they just love this guy. And as he's driving away, Carl yells, you have the best car! Or no, he hands them a, like, uh, a urinal cake sort of uh, sanitizer thing and says, hey, I found this in the trash. Like, it'd be a great hockey puck. And Carl says you have the best garbage, which is Ashley, I feel like fans reactions to the Friday night Nicktoons podcast. <laughs> like we are we are the best garbage.
0: <laughs> we are indeed. And in the meantime, we go back into um, Ginger's plot in which they know that they are forbidden to wear makeup. So they decide that they're going to be creating makeup that they found in a magazine article called they decide to call it fake up. So they have things like crushed crayons and raspberry pudding and um, gravy and stuff like that. And they're going to make, you know, fake makeup in an easy bake oven. And um, then they decide that this is going to be a great loophole for them to wear makeup, even though it's not really makeup.
1: Right, and it's a pretty clever solution. Although, for all intents and purposes, it is very much still makeup. It's just not conventional makeup. And the fake-up name is brilliant. I love the episode title, Kiss and Makeup. Um, It's not really a kiss-related episode. I thought it would be, and that would have been extra clever, but... Anyway, there's enough preteen concepts in this episode. We don't need to throw kissing in there this time.
0: Yeah. Okay. So finally, we cut into um, the day that school picture day is happening, and it starts with Courtney having all these pictures taken by the photographer, and Miranda has the fan on, and the photographer is acting like he's like those model photographers, saying like, "Oh yes, Courtney, the camera loves you. Keep it going." And Courtney's like so over the top with her poses. It's just ridiculous and hilarious, and I love it. Yeah, it's exactly what you would expect when you
2: picture Courtney's picture day, right? It's over the top. It's out of hand. It's phenomenal. It's great. We then lead into uh, Ginger and them walk in, and I think Miranda says, like, are they auditioning for clown school? And Courtney responds with, I have no idea, but if they are, I have a feeling they're going to get in because their fake-up looks horrible.
1: then going back over to Blake, we have this sort of heist going on, and I love his quote, Blake is playing with his toy knights, and the way he plays with them is he goes, I demand you pay the tariff, Sir Galahad, and it's like, Blake, do you not know how to have fun? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah he, he knows how to have fun by playing what like king arthur as opposed to like what right. is it i mean what is this like the year 2000 so he should have been playing pokemon
1: <laughs> like, like star wars or something yeah. yeah
0: exactly right
1: no judgment like we say in our theme song you know it's you do you you do what you what you like so i i respect that but he's a weird kid he got to admit <laughs>
0: Yeah, but then again, a lot of the kids, like Carl and Hoodsy, they're weird, but Blake is weird in a different way. For sure.
2: Darren actually jumps in and says, like, to Carl, like, you're gonna leave him alone, or I'll tell about your stuffed lambie pie named Baba. And Carl gets all defensive. He's like, I don't have a stuffed lamb. I was a kid. It was... It was, I barely remember it and stuff, you know, like that's all defensive about it. So again, it loops back to that. Everyone kind of had one of those things and doesn't really make sense to hold it over one person when you have one as well.
1: Yeah. So essentially they sort of, they blackmail Blake and can we talk about their demands that they make to Blake where he goes, okay, get rid of the blanket and never bring it up. And uh, Carl goes, all right, Hoodsey, tell him what it's going to take to make that happen. And very formally, like they do, he goes, all right, number one. You, I, I forget the order, but he's like, you have to recarpet our clubhouse in here. Number two. And he's like, oh, God. Number two, you have to do this. And it's just this long list of demands. Then he says, number four. And it cuts away.
0: <laughs> he's holding a thick stack of index cards, which you can assume that it's a lot of
1: things. <laughs> Hoodsey is such a funny, like, hype man, sort of like bailiff. For Carl, he, he's a great enforcer of all of Carl's crazy antics. I also love just how, sof- not sophisticated, but they're so smart and crafty and creative.
2: So we open up and their junior high chemistry teacher, who's just getting very enthusiastic about chemistry, and you can tell that the other students are, they're not really caring. They're caring as much as middle schoolers care about chemistry, which is not enough because chemistry is great. Um, He decides to pair everyone off, and Miranda ends up with Macy, Courtney ends up with Dodie, and Ginger ends up with Ian, which is very exciting to her. We also get this great joke where um, Courtney asks if she would be able to switch partners or get something to work out, and the teacher's like, is the H in H2O helium? Which obviously it's not... (laughs) It's hydrogen for the record, but (laughs) I just thought it was funny.
1: Classic. Oh, can we talk about this band rehearsal? The, uh, The band teacher is so legit. He's like, the things he's saying are so true to what, like, cliche jazz teachers say. I'm finally hearing you embrace the space between the notes, which anyone I've ever played with in jazz has said in some variation.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting that out of all the instruments that Carlin Hoods are playing, they're playing glockenspiel, which, I don't know, that's not really a common thing to play in band class, is it, Casey?
1: Well, so in my music ed classes, we did learn that you do want to start off like little kids on mallet instruments. There's something tactile and more like our brains respond better to something like that as opposed to a wind instrument. Um, it's less visual. So I I get that, but it is weird for a band band and not just, like, a general music class.
2: Going back to Ginger and them, where they're just working in lab together, and Courtney phone calls over to Miranda. They're in the same class, but calls her on her cell phone, and she's like, don't you think it's so, like, interesting that Ginger can just be herself around Ian? Like, usually when you like a guy, you get all, like, you know... Anxious and worried, but Ginger, she's just she's just herself with no problems at all. And I just thought one the whole concept
1: was funny to me. This was the first moment I felt empathy for Miranda because what an awful thing to hear from your best friend. <laughs> just yeah, you're really awkward and uncomfortable around boys. You like, what was the point of saying that, Courtney? Usually Miranda's the jerk in this friendship, but that was just out of line.
2: Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was just lack of
0: tact or what
1: oh she didn't mean it i'm sure but man those those griplings really live in a bubble
0: yeah exactly um, we, I want to cut back into the test. When Ginger finally confronts Ian saying about, you know, I know what you've been doing, you're taking advantage of me so you can get an A, he finally confesses that he was doing that this whole time, and Ginger, you know, thought, even Ginger was slowly going to confess that he thought that he was treating her nicely because he liked her, but... Then Courtney intervenes, saying, we're all out of saline solution, can we borrow? And you can even tell that she's trying to save Ginger from humiliation, because when she asks that question, she gives a wink to her. And then she walks away, and then when Ginger looks at her, she kind of has this little nod. So it was kind of like a way of saying, like, you know, I know that you want to tell Ian off, but I don't think this is the right time
1: yet. Yeah, that was interesting.
0: Pretty quick into where we
2: sort of get this theme of are they too old or not for Little Seal Girl, right? That has been their favorite since they were kids. And uh, we've talked about this a lot, how, I mean, we are all adults making podcasts about Nicktoons, right? So we're, we're obviously very much in favor of sticking with who you are, regardless of your age. But that's definitely a theme that we see in this episode throughout.
1: A question I kind of want to ask the two of you. Because we've already discussed this and watched it together, of course we should discuss it again, but I'm wondering what what hit you differently and like what has sort of resonated with you since we watched it the first time and now, you know, several months later, approaching it again, what sort of changed for you?
0: Hmm. You know, I think that for the most part, it really shows how relatable a topic is about when a person is making fun of you for some of liking something that is considered to be uncool or juvenile, I've always felt that way. But kind of looking into a different perspective, we never see Macy crack down on the pressure of changing something because of either not being cool or being completely juvenile. We always ta- we talked about in the first time that we talked about this um, in the Fred and Nicktoons podcast. We focused on how Ginger and Dodie were pressured into quitting the talent show because. Everybody was making fun of um, Macy with her little seal girl performance saying that it was like really juvenile and she's going to act like a complete spaz. But we never really brought up the fact that Macy is one of the strongest. This is probably Macy's finest moment in which, you know, of course, with the little seal girl performance. But one of the things that I really overlooked the first time was that she never backed down even once. She never let pressure from you know, people who are more popular of the of the status quo in school than her. You know, she would ever consider leaving the Little Seal Girl. She's really passionate about it, and she wants to do it. She's always wanted to do it, and she's committed to it because we even see her dressing up in the Little Seal Girl costume. I mean, it's a legit costume, and we just she's really committed to it and she's really upset that her friends aren't as committed to it so that just goes to show you that even if something is really embarrassing or it's not cool anymore then just go for it don't worry about what other people think and try to be as strong as you can even if everybody laughs at you then don't worry about it it's not going to matter
2: for me i guess we just since watching you know episodes leading up to this too it's given me a little bit more perspective of sort of the characters that they've been building throughout it right so uh definitely still you've got to love macy from this episode right but i feel like if anything i love her even more given all of her little bits of humor that we've kind of talked about in previous episodes and getting to see her character more and how it grows and yeah really just how strong of a character is she's so unembarrassed right she's she's 100 percent herself throughout the show and she's just so willing to just own everything that she does. So I'd say I agree with Patricia on that. Just watching it and admiring her definitely came up for me too.
0: So now we have um, Ginger and Dodie confronting Macy saying, we need to leave the little seal girl performance because we want to do something that's more seventh grade. And Macy becomes beyond devastated saying, I'm going to do this on my own if I have to. And then we cut into Ginger and Dodie trying various talents to see if, maybe macy would change her mind but then she says no and then of course we have probably my favorite macy line in the entire series where when ginger sits her down and then she begs her saying macy please it'll be really cool if we just and then macy gets up she uh, you know with her little seal girl costume she says cool cool do I look like a girl who's concerned with what's cool? And of course, it really made my day when Jackie recited the line for me. It was like, it's, it's like my birthday came early.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. And that's a great interview. Go give it a listen if you haven't yet. Uh, really, I've enjoyed every single one of those interviews with the voice actors. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think everyone we've interviewed so far has mentioned Comeback Little Steel Girl or It's Come Up.
0: Every single one of them has mentioned Comeback Little Seal Girl. I mean, with Jared, probably not as much because he didn't do the song for that. It was Eric Casimiro, who was one of the directors and producers. But Aspen mentioned Comeback Little Seal Girl, and Jackie mentioned it, obviously. So, yeah, there's been at least a lot of mentions of this one episode.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense,
2: too, right? This It's fantastic. It's one of those that... You know, um, obviously you chose it for your episode with us for a reason, but now having seen more of the show, I I understand why it's so unforgettable. Absolutely. Yeah, this has got to be one of the most triumphant moments ever, and... I just you've you've got to love the energy that Macy puts it in into this, you know, because the the music cuts out, right? I'm not not misremembering.
0: Yeah, the mu- the the tape. If anybody remembers what a tape is, it gets jumbled and yeah, the song stops. And Macy could have quit right there, but she continues.
2: Yeah, and I love that the audience responds so well to it too. You know, like at first it's kind of embarrassing, and then it's like they see that she's again, she's just so. So unapologetically her. She just goes up, owns it, starts singing. It's uh like a better version of the Mean Girls talent show where they they lose their music, right? But it's it's her just completely owning it, going in full force. And again, it just shows how confident she is. She kind of comes across sometimes I think as this sort of, you know, like awkward character. She's got all of these weird like, you know, medical issues and everything, but This is probably the first moment where we see just pure confidence from her.
0: Yeah, even still to this day, this is hands down my favorite episode involving with Macy. Because, I mean, sure, she has her good moments, but just a triumphant moment like this, where you have like this sick, nerdy girl who's out there singing a song that is, you know, on the surface, really embarrassing. It's about something juvenile as a little seal girl living in the real world. And it's so hard to get by, but and seals can't even cry, but she sings it like it's the greatest thing in the world, and everybody loves it
1: for sure um
2: one of my favorite things I think about this episode is that we get these these parallels, right, where it's kind of like there's the witch hunt for who dressed up the statue, right? Somebody vandalized the school statue as a witch, and the principal's kind of going on his own witch hunt, so to speak, while they're doing this play about the traditional witch hunts. And I just think it's kind of a a fun situation there.
1: For sure. Yeah, I am absolutely obsessed with this sort of Crucible-based kind of musical. And uh, and I love the way especially that it parallels real life as we check in on the musical, I believe three times over the course of the episode. Maybe it's more than that. It At first, it's subtle, the sort of accusations of who's the witch or who vandalized the witch in real life. And by the end, it becomes, you know, completely art-mirroring life. And uh, it's a little more heavy-handed than As Told by Ginger is typically, but I loved it.
2: I want to quickly talk about this... We get this really interesting and bizarre side plot with Carl in this one, and I thought it was so strange to see actual, like, supernatural things happening within As Told by Jinder. And he goes to set up this seance to bring back good old Maude from the dead, and I'm expecting this not to work, right? And it, and then it really does. It actually happens. We actually see her ghost in the form of Hoodsy, which is bizarre just to see in general, but the, the whole thing is just, it felt not exactly out of
0: place, but kind of unexpected for the show. I think, in my opinion, it's very out of place. You know, for a slice of life cartoon, it has certain boundaries in which it has to be really connected towards real life um you know with um you could argue about what about for hey arnold in which you know you have gerald's legends true but there are a lot of cases there were a lot of cases in which you didn't really know if the legends were true like you know with pigeon man everybody thought that he was a crazy man well that's not true he was just a man who loved birds or stoop kid they thought he was just like this weird guy that he was just left on his stoop and you know it's there's he's a lot more tragic and then the story of wheeze and ed in which there's like this buried treasure and you can hear the wheezing but it just turned out to be a bunch of guys making counterfeit pennies i think the only one that was like a hundred percent confirmed to be real was big caesar other than that with arnold they're they're able to make the you know the, the sense in which you know you have all these legends that are going around i mean sure they may not be true but it makes it very fascinating but as for this it's it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like something Carl would do. And the only reason why he did this was because he was trying to scare off Lois with, you know, taking car companion Bob's hand, covered it in like a ketchup and making it look like it's blood and put it in the fridge so that Lois would get freaked out. And then there was another one in which he takes the calf's liver and puts it inside him, making it look like Hoodsy cut him open and he's, you know, plays dead and Hoodsy carries a hoe, making it cut covered in blood, say like, I didn't mean to do it, Mrs. Fowley. It was out of my hand. And
1: Lois does not miss a
0: beat. She knows that they're not really doing that. She's not even scared even once.
1: You know, I've been thinking about... I haven't stopped thinking about this episode since I watched it, in terms of the mod ghost and how literal and direct they are. Kind of like Ashley said, where you expect it to either not work, or maybe it's all in their heads, but this happens. It just straight up happens. I kind of loved it just because I love that sort of like magical realism sort of world, uh, which is part of why I love Hey Arnold, because even though you're right, Patricia, only one of them is confirmed, I think the Hey Arnold universe is very magical in some ways, Uh, probably because we're seeing the show from a child's perspective and there's an inherent sort of wonder in the way that they see the world. But, and as told by Ginger, middle schoolers start to get a little more cynical so to see something this otherworldly happen I don't know I I think it was a bold choice I'm glad they did it but I don't I don't know if it was right in the tone of the show, but I'm still glad that it happened. Am I making any sense? I had a lot of feelings about this. Sure,
0: sure, it's fine.
1: We haven't really talked about the setting of As Told by Ginger, and since uh, this one kind of does involve, you know, sheltered shrubs, the town, it's uh, it's set in Connecticut. I just checked on the wiki. I'm interested, Patricia, in sort of your thoughts on the, the setting of the show and whether it makes a difference in the show or not. They pick a specific state, and... I, I'm wondering if they're trying to make it sort of in every town or if there was any purpose in that sort of setting. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, Um. the reason why it's set in Connecticut is because Emily Kapnick was raised in the suburban area when she was young. She was raised in New York first by her mom and then as time went on she was raised you know, in a suburban area with her father. So, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it was a more upstate New York I believe where she was raised by her father. I don't know why Connecticut specifically but it does make a lot of sense that she would you know, choose a suburban setting. You know, also the same thing for suburgatory in which that also takes place in a suburban setting as
1: well cool thank you
0: you're welcome there's this old 1950s cuspidor that he wants in exchange for watching over muffin while he goes on um goes out of town and you know it's it's just really odd a a cuspidor out of all the things that carl would want why would he want something like that it's just really weird
2: Carl likes his weird stuff, right? It's a strange item for him to like, but given all of the other weird things that they have and their sort of a- their doghouse there, it's not the most shocking thing that this is what they've decided to get, but it is certainly strange.
1: I don't know. I know the episode is kind of scary in a sense because there's actual danger in the blizzard, but it's also kind of cozy in a way. It did, it took me back to sort of being snowed in and you're kind of just stuck with who you're stuck with. You can't go anywhere. Everyone's holed up indoors. It's interesting that Lois still has to work because of course she does because she's a nurse and that completely complicates the entire episode.
0: And then uh, the snowstorm is so bad that Winston, when he's driving, he gets he loses control of the limo. And then they get buried in the snow. And then, they, and then, like, not long afterwards, Courtney and Blake start to panic. They, they act like they've been in there for, like, either hours or days. But it's only been, like, a few minutes. And they're acting like this is the end of the world for them.
2: Yeah, they're awful, too. I don't know if we talked about that at all. They're just terrible. Courtney's getting all upset about... How, I think it's like her phone isn't getting reception or something. And she's like, prioritize Winston. And I'm like, Courtney, she, he is, he's trying to drive in the snowstorm um, before they crash. And it's, it's just, they're, they're terrible. And they're only trapped in the car for, I don't know, it's a number of hours. But they're as dramatic as you ever could have dreamed that they would be. And they're, God, it, it's one of those moments where you're like, I am so glad that I don't have to deal with you on a daily basis. Because, wow, just... The entitlement and the inability to take any sort of inconveniences. It's just so apparent how, you know, cushy their lives have been. And I mean, I understand too, like if I were stuck in a car in a snowbank or whatever, I would probably panic a little bit, but it's sort of the... The priorities that they have and the things that they're upset about that are just ridiculous
1: and, uh, which brings us back to Ginger Dodie Macy and I think the the general gag of Dodie constantly taking pictures on that now old looking camera is so funny I don't think it was supposed to be funny but Dodie just snapping obnoxious pictures of everything kept cracking me up that's
0: still a thing by the way people taking selfies at like random moments or whatever is still very relevant today
1: oh for sure but yeah they're documenting it for their project essentially and that's another clever tie-in where they have this project about survival that they have to do and now it's about themselves (laughs) i really really enjoyed this episode the moment where they think that the dog died because of them was horrifying and so dramatically effective for me carl just or i mean hoodsy just takes a deep breath and says gosh carl Life sure is fragile. And there's no joke or anything. It was so shocking.
0: Yeah, it was pretty shocking. Absolutely. It's definitely
2: pretty terrifying for them thinking that the dog was legitimately dead. I mean, admittedly, if it were, there would probably be a little bit, you know, there'd be more, like, blood and such around, but that's clearly not on their minds. They just see the leash and immediately assume, like, well, we have legitimately killed this dog. Thankfully, (laughs) they didn't, and it's all okay in the end, but... Certainly not the most reassuring of moments, right?
0: Yeah, the episode ends with the army truck coming in and Courtney runs outside trying to see if she can catch up to them. And then she's being recorded by the news and they just think that she's absolutely insane. God, she's a mess. She really
2: is. She's She's something, to say the least. But, you know, there she is in her pajamas running because of this... Apparently unbearable life situation to her of temporarily not having food. One of the highest maintenance people I think that has ever existed.
1: Oh, Ashley, we've got to talk about the guitar moment.
2: Oh, I forgot about that. So Courtney decides like to try to lift their spirits. They're going to sing some songs, and she has Winston playing the guitar. And she's like, oh, "Just put, you know, do a key of a G, F, J, whatever. Just play. I'll improvise." And I said, that's like me to Casey. When we made our musical thing, I don't know that you might've caught our little mashup. He was like, would it help you at all if I printed out music for you? And I was like,
1: nah. <laughs> I sing. I don't know music. It was Ginger on guitar, wasn't it? Not Winston?
0: Yeah, a Ginger plays guitar.
1: And, and Courtney, I don't think she's making a music joke. I don't think Courtney is aware that J is not a note or a key. Yeah, <laughs> I at least know
0: that much.
2: I, I don't know a lot about music, but I do know that one.
1: Yeah, this was a very interesting episode in terms of involving politics. It's not necessarily an inherently political episode, of course, but it does get closer to that than we've ever seen. And uh but on a completely unrelated note, I th- my favorite Miranda Courtney interaction happens at the very beginning of this episode where and there's a lot of good Miranda Courtney interactions in the show. Courtney says Miranda, I need you to... And Miranda gets all excited, and she goes, yes. And then she goes, hand me the phone so I can call Ginger. And I started, like, screaming.
2: <laughs> yeah, and we get, of course, a lot of that jealousy, right, of Miranda towards uh, Ginger and the weird relationship that Courtney and Ginger always have. Um, and then she she does kind of counter with it. Well, you know, you can't be me, because then who would be my best friend? But, uh... You can sense a little bit of a uh, little bit of salt, I would say, on Miranda's end there.
0: Yeah, and so while Miranda and Courtney are eating lunch um she starts not feeling well and she and then it turns out that she's actually allergic to the mystery meat and she her face is like completely bloated and she looks awful and that's when she decides to get ginger to be the person in charge of portraying as courtney and then they you know say like a whole bunch of tips on how to act like courtney she has her hair styled up like courtney to try to convince the senator's son to stay at lucky junior high
1: Yeah, this is another very similar plot to Mean Girls. I know that's come up a few times now, but it's very precise (laughs) where she starts as faking it. Granted, it's not to make fun of Courtney like it is in Mean Girls, but... She starts sort of badly faking it, and it sort of consumes her and turns her into this monster. This is such a weird episode, you know? Like, everyone, even the adults, just go along with this completely ridiculous concept. And I get it, Courtney has that much social power, and her parents are connected and all that, but how does this work so well? It's so unrealistic.
0: Yeah, I guess this is similar to in the the episode that we talked about a few weeks ago, where Dodie was saying a whole bunch of gossip in the morning announcements. It's like, why aren't the teachers saying anything? They shouldn't, I mean, the teacher should have immediately shut down Dodie the moment that she says some gossip. But yeah, here we go once again with the teachers being incredibly inadequate.
2: Yeah, it's also super strange because, like, they, they end up calling Ginger's mom, right, and saying, like, where's ginger been she hasn't shown up to school in the past like week but like you'd think they would at least actually mark the attendance correctly right because clearly the teacher could see that it's ginger but apparently they haven't been <laughs> and they've actually been marking courtney's the, the whole thing is just so strange in the way that the dealings work but you know it's the weird world they live in where like you said the the teachers are inadequate in what they're
1: doing this is one of the episodes where I definitely prefer the Carl Hoodsey plot to the, uh, the main plot. And yeah, like you said, so he, uh, he, ha- he has a case of amnesia, essentially. I think that's what it is. Yeah, and he starts going by Rob, his real name, and doesn't go by Hoodsey. And, uh, interesting that he chooses Rob and not Robert. I guess that must have been what he went by before he became Hoodsey. I would love an origin story for how he becomes Hoodsey. I don't know if that's coming at all, but I'm curious, no, oh,
0: yeah, sorry, uh, the reason why he's called Hoosie is because he has a purple hoodie on. That's pretty much it,
1: right, but I mean, I wonder when it started, and who like did Carl come up with it? It's probably not that important. He's just one of my favorite characters
0: it's just a nickname we can all assume that so yeah it's never mentioned unfortunately so rob i guess we can call him that in this episode so he starts becoming friends with brandon and joanne is really um uh, she's really supportive of this because brandon as we've seen throughout the previous episode he's a goody two-shoes kid who's like nice and sweet and um he's like really over the top kind and joanne prefers this over carl who's like a massive troublemaker and they do a lot of of gross things and they get themselves into trouble, so she encourages this. And slowly, Rob is no longer interested in being friends with Carl, he's definitely a lot more subdued. And Carl tries his very best to show him of all the good times they have, but it's just not working. Hoodsy, I mean, Rob is just seeing that Carl is very dangerous to be around, and Carl is really upset that he essentially lost his best friend.
1: Yeah, she. I think Mrs. Bishop goes way too far on this in a a very manipulative, unacceptable way, in my opinion
0: well that that is Joanne has always been very manipulative but i think we see it more abundant in this episode compared to the previous episodes we talked about the last episode we saw Joanne was in sleep on it where you know Carl ruins her book club but um yeah we do well we we will see more on Joanne's manipulative actions later on in the series but yeah this is definitely really apparent that she does not like Carl whatsoever that she wants him to be far away from her as possible and um and you know she encourages that rob becomes friends with brandon and that um you know carl just stays away and never comes back
2: yeah it's it's really sad to see that sort of that transition happening with them and it's strange and it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like how much of your personality is built up of your interactions right so it's the reason that he's not acting like himself anymore is that he can't remember things right so it's like how much how much of him became him because of being around Carl and because of those memories more than who he is. Kind of like a, almost like a nature versus nurture kind of moment, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, which is a really nice parallel too, because, you know, do we really, I mean, we always see Hoodsy kind of like on the back burner compared to Carl, and we do get to see him, you know, we do get to see his shining moments, but Carl is like the lead man, so the fact that you know, Hoodsy is kind of like his own person, and we get to see, you know, in a sense, like, who he can really be without Carl being like manipulative towards him, so so we kind of see that and then we have ginger being manipulative of acting like courtney and she's basically being controlled by miranda saying you have to do this this is what courtney would do and you have to be with these people you have to know about these people and you need to know you need to hang out with these friends because that's how courtney would do it and you have to act this way because that's how courtney would act so you know on the sense we have ginger not acting like herself she's trying to be somebody else and then we have Hoodie having amnesia and he basically is somebody else. He's not like his real self. So, that's kind of like the sense of this episode.
1: Yeah, for real. I uh, what's uplifting and heartwarming about this episode is Carl and Hoodsy sort of discovering their friendship again. And uh, oh, someone commented, <laughs> Patricia. I sent a screenshot to Ashley asking about if Carl and Hoodsy end up together. And I, I think the the way the way I typed it to Ashley was, this is why we can't have nice things. (laughs) (laughs) And like, like I've said before on the show, like I am gay and like, don't get me wrong. I'm all about weird pairings, but that one is just so uncomfortable for me.
0: (laughs) Even with, you know, Jackie, the way she imagines, um, you know, if Jackie would ever have a relationship, she says, oh, I see Macy as a total lesbian. And I'm like, okay. I'm okay with that, and she's like, out of all the people, I would see it with Courtney, and I'm like, sure, you know, I mean, it's a little bit unorthodox, but sure, I can see that, and if, you know, if you're one of those people who see Carl and Hoodsy together, I mean, you know, more power to you, but, um, just the fact that they're really close friends. I mean, it's like I understand that if you see like you know the same sex, pe- you know, if you have two same sex people hanging out with each other as friends, and you want to automatically ship them as gay, it's like you know that's it's more power to you. If you feel that way, that's fine, but it doesn't always have to be that way, you know?
1: Right. I'm. If I had to pick, I'm much more team Arnold and Gerald, though there's probably even less evidence for that one.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I would. I, I would ship it, sure.
1: oh man
2: i i feel like of the you know same-sex relationships going on though the ginger courtney one's gotta have the most strong vibes going right at least one-sided
0: yeah i mean you know still we haven't you know gotten the the rumors confirmed that originally courtney was supposed to fall in love with ginger that's still a rumor that hasn't been confirmed yet yeah but the vibes are there, nonetheless. The vibes are definitely there. So yeah, this, this should be really interesting. So this is a Christmas special, and it's not just a Christmas special, but it's also a mixture between Christmas and Hanukkah.
2: Yeah, I, I thought that this was an interesting insight, right? And kind of, I think, how a lot of people kind of deal with these types of things when you figure out something new about your culture, and she wants to dive in. And Ginger definitely very quickly embraces, and maybe a little bit too much, you know, maybe starts cutting out Christmas a little more than she should, but she definitely is very excited to learn more about you know her Jewish heritage and all that. So I, I think it's a you know it's it's interesting. We've talked about on our podcast you know the the hanukkah episodes for rugrats but i think it's interesting to see that that's mentioned in another nickelodeon show
0: well it makes a lot of sense since um klasky chupo produces both rugrats and as told by ginger and since arlene klasky is jewish it would make a lot of sense why they would add in a little bit of hebrew heritage to their programs
1: for sure and it is it is funny when uh when Ginger says, I'm one quarter Jewish and she has that realization, uh I, I see what Jared's doing here. He, uh this like Jewish klezmer like clarinet type music starts playing as Carl starts slowly opening a can. It's not entirely unlike a dreidel
0: ah (laughs) yeah it's actually pretty interesting
1: and he goes over and talks to what he thinks is just an inconspicuous street santa not realizing that it's carl's dad it's pretty melodramatic and also the irony of carl's dad playing santa for money when he was never you know around to be santa for for carl essentially um Brandon comes up while Hoodsy's talking to Carl's dad as Santa, and Brandon is you know starting to tell him his wish list, and Hoodsy goes, "Not right, not now, Brandon," and uh, he goes, "But Santa," and Carl's dad goes, "Go away, Brandon. Merry Christmas and goodbye." <laughs> <laughs> And then Brandon says, you're a lot less attractive in person, you know? And I just keep mowing this line over. What does that mean?
2: (laughs) I mean, you know, Santa in the books is always much more attractive than... uh...
0: It's just a strange thing to say. Yeah. I mean, I guess Santa baby is the reason why some people find Santa attractive.
1: But does that, does that confirm what I assume we all think about Brandon? <laughs> Possibly. Uh. I
2: don't know. Um, so Carl's dad shows up and, um, you know, he invites him out to his car, I think. And he says, Carl says to him, my mom always warned me about getting into the car with a total stranger. And I know that we've talked about this before as to how, uh, how much more cold Carl is towards his dad than Ginger is. Ginger's a lot more open to getting to know him. And Carl, you can tell it's just this, he, he lets him in in bits and pieces. But it's very, very cold overall.
0: Yeah, sadly, Carl has been like this for pretty much the entire series. There's an episode called Ten Chairs in which they celebrate Thanksgiving. And Carl is not happy when Ginger, um, you know, is thinking about inviting him over and also... Uh, There's another episode that we'll be talking about later on in which uh, Jonas kind of gets involved and Carl is, like, really shaken about it, that he's really afraid that he's going to get involved, possibly, in their lives. So, yeah, because, uh, especially since Carl is the youngest, because he didn't know his father a lot more than compared to Ginger, he doesn't really see him as a dad, but just as, like a total stranger whom he just so happens to be related with. Kind of like that long-lost uncle that you only hear briefly, but then when you see him, you really don't know what to say.
1: It's a very brutal moment, and it's hard to watch, but Carl's always laying down the hammer like that. Um, I want to just backtrack for a quick second. When uh, Dodie immediately accepts Ginger's sort of embracing of her Jewish heritage and brings her a gift bag, because of course she does... she calls it a welcome to judaism bag and uh ginger starts going through it and she goes a previously viewed copy of yentl (laughs) i thought it was so funny the the yentl the iconic jewish barbara streisand movie and like the fact that it was already watched i man (laughs) that's good stuff
0: um another thing that i that we need to go back on is um the reindeer that Carl Hoodsey and uh, Brent, uh, and uh, Darren put together. So they have a light that shows off a reindeer, and then when it turns on, when they turn on the lights, the reindeer lifts up its leg and starts pissing on the ground. It's like, of course Carl would do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's I like that you know Darren's helping out with it too, right? And it's a cute little cute little moment. It is so the type of thing you would expect carl to want in front of his house right
0: yep and then there's of course there's Dwayne introducing himself to Ms. zorsky he oh said, my god why don't you take it casey
1: <laughs> well yeah it's I, i'm just obsessed with Dwayne. he's such a great minor character on this show <laughs> that's really all i have to say
0: yeah so he just approaches Ms. zorsky and says hey you into garbage and Ms. zorsky's <laughs> like uh, no.
1: <laughs> that's that's us to our listeners of this show. Hey, you guys like garbage? <laughs>
0: we got plenty. And it's kind of nice that we have a Macy-centric episode that doesn't involve with anything really dramatic. It's actually something pretty sweet. I mean, sure, we had to come back a little seal girl, but it kind of starts off with being sort of dramatic. But, you know, here, it's kind of, like, sweet all the way through.
2: Yeah, also, just... Because I don't think we've seen Hoodsy and Macy really interact,
0: have we? No, not really. None whatsoever. I mean, whenever we see Hoodsy, we see him either with Carl or with Dodie because, obviously, they're brother and sister. But Hoodsy and Macy is something that we've never seen before. So this is actually really nice, a Hoodsy-Macy
1: episode. I think it's adorable, and I feel like it's kind of cliche in a good way of, like, the younger kids, one of them having a crush on someone in, like, the friend's sister's like cool older friend group you know i can totally see it happening um i just love the irony of dodie being obsessed with figuring out who macy's secret admirer is and it's her brother the whole time how mortified would she be if she ever found out but she doesn't learn
0: so we have ginger wanting to ask ian to the dance because uh, we've seen throughout the series at this point that she does still have a crush on him even though that he kind of was using her in the episode The eight Ticket, so I would think that maybe the epi- the relationship would be a little bit more strained. But no, she still has a crush on him, and she still wants to ask him to the dance. Ugh. I just don't
2: like Ian. He's got no personality. Ginger deserves so much better.
0: <laughs> Trust me, he'll be gone really soon. By season two, you will not even see him. And by season three, he's gone.
1: You make it sound like he's going to get killed off. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We won't have to worry about Ian anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you do it, Patricia? Did you kill Ian?
0: You got me, but no, I did not. Sorry, it was the writers. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, God. Continuing on. So, Dodie is going out with Chet, which is interesting. Again, I don't know where she decided to go for that one, but sure, sure. <laughs> we cut into Carl and Hoodsy's plot, where Carl is reading the newspaper while Mrs. Gordon is teaching class, and it turns out that the the the, the local cow, Piggy, I mean P- Pinky is not doing very well and she needs a heart transplant and she only has a few hours to live right before she dies and carl wants to save pinky because pinky is the greatest cow in the world who did all these amazing things like save a dog from a train track and a whole bunch of crazy things so yeah so he wants to save pinky and so carl and hoodsy decide to come up with a plan about that they want to steal the, the pig's heart from Mr. Celia's class. And they just need to find out where it is. And we have Blake who wants to get involved. And here's the thing with Blake. You see, we I mean, throughout the series, we do kind of see Blake either blackmailing Carl or teaming up with Carl to kind of, you know, get something back. But in this episode, we don't get that. I don't really understand why Blake wants to team up with Carl. Why? For a temporary truce? I mean, he doesn't get anything back in return. He doesn't get, like, the petrified eyeball. He doesn't get, like, access to being f- permanent friends with Carl and Hoodsy. So, yeah, Blake helping out is kind of a little confusing.
1: Yeah, this is one of my least favorite B plots. It, it, it was, did very little for me. It just felt like a recycling of all the old ones put together.
0: Yeah, but it does kind of pull in together because that you know, Mr. Celia does have the pig heart and it's in Lucky Junior High's refrigerator, which gives the incentive for them to go to the dance on the same day so that Hoodsy can be able to sneak in and help them out and you know he decides to stay later on. So it does pull in together as opposed to like the majority of the time in which they're kind of separate. So at least we can give it that. But yeah, I do agree that the plot is pretty for. yeah
2: i accept it as a device in which the plot can be carried forward and i definitely love that Hood's, he puts ends up going to the dance and you know when he picks up his tickets whatever he's like man comma mystery <laughs> and it's cute and how uh he never really reveals himself right but he does go to the dance and meets up with macy and i think it's a cute moment so i, I accept the b plot as a way where he could do that i guess but i mean technically he could have just gone and not had a second reason to
0: right i guess eh, that's okay sure and then darren comes through the window similar to sam from clarissa explains it all and says hey guess what i'm i'm not gonna go to the dance with you after all courtney grippling invited me and then ginger says i'm sorry darren but and then darren basically just interrupts her thinking that The reason why that Ginger would be saying that is because she's jealous and she tries to tell him otherwise, but he doesn't listen.
2: I hate that as a plot device. It happens so frequently, this, I am literally not going to let you finish your sentence thing. And they're like, but I can, I can explain, but wait, if you literally just let me finish the sentence, we wouldn't have this, this issue at all. But you're not going to let me, you're literally not going to let me finish the sentence. And it's just, it's such a common thing. It happens a lot of times in, in, you know, TV shows and such. And it drives me crazy. Like, that's just so... You would just shout it at him or something, right? Like, you would just communicate, people. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be a TV trope, for sure. It's also, like, every episode of Friends. <laughs> so many sitcoms are like that. Where the, the misunderstanding depends on people not letting each other finish. And it's like, if we all just sat down and talked like adults, for 30 seconds the episode would be over.
2: Yeah, at least these are... You know they're in middle school, whatever, or junior high. So, so it's a little more acceptable for them to be a little bit more.
0: But, yeah, friends, friends. I'm like, you guys are supposed to be adults. Come on. Then Courtney decides to go incredibly unique by going by herself. <gasps> Shocking. I know, right? <laughs>
2: It's very Courtney thing to make this into a big deal. I mean, I like that she owns it at least and, you know, doesn't just decide to not go to the dance or something, but plenty of people go alone, right? I mean, Ginger did, so. But when Courtney does it, it's a big
0: deal.
1: Yeah, the dance itself is kind of fun. You got, I do, uh, she does it for attention, but I think you got to respect Courtney just showing up alone and owning it. Um, you know, she's still being her insufferable self, but she is, you know, making the best of a rough situation and showing that sort of natural leadership that she does have.
0: Yeah, and of course, we need to get into Macy's part of the story, in which when Hoodsy does show up, he shows up as Earl Forkenstock. And he has, he tries to keep his voice low, and because Macy can't see without her glasses, she doesn't recognize Hoodsy, and so they start dancing with one another, and it's all romantic and cute, and then when Dodie sees Hoodsy and Macy together, almost about to kiss, it looks like, she rushes with Chet and pushes him forward, and Hoodsy realizes that Dodie was coming, and so he had to go away. And then we see that he's gone, and and Dodie's like, oh, I'm too late, who was that guy? And then Macy's like, Earl. It's like, Aw, it's so cute.
2: It is very cute. And you know, props to Hootsie for for going out and doing that, you know, that's it's a pretty big move. Leaving an older girl a secret admirer note and showing up to the dance and all that. I you know, he's normally pretty shy, and obviously he's still shy in that he doesn't show his identity, but you know, I think it's a pretty pretty big thing for him to do.
1: This gave me some major summer camp flashbacks, specifically to Boy Scouts, even though it's a a slightly different thing. Like the no swimming unsupervised in the lake, that was totally a real thing.
0: And so we actually have a little bit of a nice, um, you know, forward into continuity with the clubhouse that they're hanging on is actually the doghouse that Monster used to live in. So when Monster was gone, they converted it into their clubhouse. And we even see throughout the door that it does say Monster. So that's actually the origins of the dog
2: yeah i know if, i noticed too before that it said monster on there and sort of just didn't question it <laughs> and sort of just accepted that they had a doghouse minus a dog so it was interesting to see that that sort of referenced and you know that there's this dog snatcher or whatever
0: it is i don't remember exactly why they decide that it's the principal that must have done it well, they find a lot of um evidence for it but we'll discuss about that later on So in order for them to stay at home so they can be able to investigate sheltered shrubs because they're going to be going over to a camp. Well, Carl's going to a camp and Hoodsey has to go to his aunt's house, who has a pig farm. So Carl and Hoodsey convince um, Lois and Joanne that they're going to be doing a cleaning service dressed up as vampires. So that's why they are going to be, you know, investigating various houses so they can be able to, you know, not only clean, but to look for evidence to see on who's been the one stealing the dogs.
1: Yeah, I found myself not caring as much about the Carl Hoodsy stuff. Okay, the cleaning service I did love. The concept of them running a cleaning service together is gold. Um, But the investigation kind of stuff, it was just... It stressed me out. I think it's that kind of thing. It's like you either die a SpongeBob or live long enough to see yourself become a Squidward. And part of my, like, becoming an adult brain was like, oh, God, what if are- they're going to ruin everything? Like, <laughs> it can't be the principal. Like, they're going to make him hate hate them even more.
0: You know, this is actually where the song comes from. Uh, Casey and I, we interviewed Aspen about a month ago, and she actually sang the Camp Capri song to us yeah. to conclude the podcast.
1: We don't say mooses, we say meese.
0: <laughs> and we feel proud, proud, proud as we sing this song out loud. Yeah, that's
1: the one. And I love what well, the first time they sing it on the bus. We've heard it at this point. Dodie has introduced it. But Courtney <laughs> kind of does a panicky laugh and she goes, it's very annoying. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs>
0: that's pretty much exactly how I felt about it. <laughs> To be fair, a lot of camp songs are really annoying and repetitive.
1: Oh, it's a great camp song, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, it definitely fits the mold of one, but that doesn't make it not
1: annoying. This is similar to our School's Out the Musical discussion, Ashley.
2: Yeah, sometimes certain characters I don't need to hear sing any more than they do.
1: Can we talk about the Darren-Miranda sort of pairing that happens in this episode? It's not romantic at all, but I even, I made a note saying, come on, Miranda, give us one episode where we like you. And I think she did. I, I like outdoorsy Miranda separated from Courtney. She becomes so much better.
2: You know, I, I liked her, too. She, she um, uh, we find out, one, she has some pretty strong survival skills. She literally just takes, like, a part of a broken, I don't know, wooden rod or whatever, and throws it into the lake and catches a fish in, like, two seconds. She knows how to start a fire, apparently. Yeah, she's definitely rugged, and props to her for being that.
0: I guess she kind of has to be, considering that her dad is the main drill sergeant in the in the military camp that her she happens to be in, because Courtney canceled on the trip, and because she was not allowed to go there without... Courtney, so that's how she ends up going over there. And so Darren goes over there, Chet is over there, and Darren is pretty miserable going into military camp. And the reason why he's there is because his father wants him to toughen up. Because both him and Will are these buff guys who... You know, they've gone to this military camp and they've played football and they're, you know, really assertive. And Darren's kind of like the weak link of the group. So he wants Darren to toughen up by going to the military camp and hoping that something would come out of it. And um, yeah, uh, similar to how Courtney is not doing very well in Camp Caprice, Darren is not doing very well in the military camp.
2: Yeah, no, not at all. I also just want to quickly go back to what kind of a parrot does that like? Sorry, your friend couldn't go on the cruise, so I guess you're going to military camp for the summer. It seems like a pretty big jump, um, especially considering it's not like a punishment or rationale or anything. I guess because he's the head drill sergeant there and whatever, but it's felt bad for her, you know, when you have a big exciting summer plan and to have it crushed away. You'd think that she would just go to Camp Caprice instead, maybe. Whatever. Them being separate is for the best anyways. But.
1: Okay, is it Sasha time? Ah! <laughs> what does that mean patricia i want to hear your thoughts i, I hate
0: sasha thoughts. i really oh. hate him he is so ah. bland he is the blandest crush that ginger ever received he's even blander than ian and when you find out what sasha will be doing on later in the series it is a major slap in the face
1: oh yeah i i read some spoilers on accident but uh it seems minor at least but uh, Here's a direct note I have wh- at a moment when, like, Ginger act it, where it's. when Sasha first overhears about Ian. I wrote, Aw, poor Sasha. Not about Ginger, though, about the fact that he still thinks he might like girls. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Casey. guess it doesn't help that his name is Sasha. Yeah,
2: when, when I read that note, it was like, My name is Sasha, just so you know. I was like, Your name is what? Your parents didn't love you? What? Like, they wanted a daughter? I don't don't know what happened.
1: (laughs) As someone with a gender-neutral name, (laughs) no, but I've never known a male Sasha except on, like, Drag Race, and that's a whole different thing.
0: I mean, I did meet a man named Carmen once, but I... Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, with Leslie and Shirley, you know, I do know some guys who have female names. That's fine. But Sasha, out of all the names, but... Oh, my God. Okay. So, yeah, we do first get introduced to Sasha, and Ginger develops a crush on him right away. But it kind of gets ruined because... You know, at first it starts off with Ginger feeding off the the horse. And Sasha comes up and says, you can't do that. It's against the rules. And it turns out that, you know, Ginger knows the horse already. They are kind of really close. And then Courtney comes along and says, excuse me, boy, can I please have some water? And he's not the errand boy, Courtney. I mean, sure, he may work for the camp, but... And then just Sasha looks at her. It's like, okay, I gotta go. And then Courtney says, well, how rude. It's like, Courtney, you can't expect everybody to be servants, right? But no, she does. And it kind of ruins, you know, Ginger's chance of meeting up with Sasha. But... Uh, yeah, we'll get to that later. So, so there's this cow
1: that's Oh my birth. god, this moment. Do you, you want
0: to talk about it? You can go for it.
1: Can I steal it from you? It's my yes, favorite moment do. in the episode. <laughs> this is what confirms to me my theory about Sasha, because this is like the cattiest thing that has ever happened on the show. Uh <laughs> This cow gives birth and uh, Sasha like helps because he's this like farmhand kind of type, and it, he goes, it's a, it's a bull, and uh, someone asks, "Hey Sasha, what's his name?" And he gets, shoots Ginger like the dirt, like shadiest look, and just says, "Ian." <laughs> I like actually audibly reacted. I was like, "Ah!" <laughs> <laughs> just so funny. So oh, why yeah. you be... I'm like, honestly, what she did actually just to have a boyfriend? Like that? Move, like, right move on you're at a summer camp like if you're going to continue on with this whole girls thing there's like a hundred of them at this <laughs> camp <Like. laughs> oh god i'm dying <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't get the closure I wanted from this plot. Like, (laughs) I hope we see more because it was kind of upsetting that it didn't get resolved. It pretty much
0: goes absolutely nowhere. What? Oh, really? Don't worry, don't Uh. worry. The dog will come back. But, and, you know, there may be mentions of Monster. But as for this subplot about the woman, you know, taking the dogs away, nothing.
2: It's so messed
0: up. (laughs) Uh, I I was so upset. I was like, who does it? Who just steals dogs and leaves them in the middle of nowhere? Here's another reason why I don't really like the Summer of Camp Caprice. There's plot points that are shown in this episode that go completely nowhere. Like, again, I don't want to spoil it, but I guess we can go into, like, one of them. The thing with Ginger and Sasha, it's going to end up disappointing. The thing with Ginger, I mean, the thing with Darren and Miranda thinking that it may go somewhere because they do spend time together... There's going to be one episode of that, and then it's going to be gone. So, yeah, there's a reason why I don't like Summer of Camp Caprice. It leads up to something really interesting, but then it goes completely nowhere later on.
1: Wow, fair enough. One thing to Sasha's credit, I do think the locket is adorable. At the when uh, ginger's back home and she's looking at a locket that says see you next summer with a question mark and it's the two of them in a heart locket that that was cute
0: yeah but unfortunately it's gonna be ending up pretty disappointedly later on Oof. so don't yeah. e- don't even get comfortable no um, so yeah, that is it. We have finally covered every single episode of season one of As Told by Ginger. So awesome! Tune in. So yeah, we're one third of the series complete. So hope to see you guys around soon, and thank you for listening. <laughs>